Hey, welcome Fight Fans. This is your host Dave Duenas. To the premiere and the very first episode of Corner to Corner. Which primarily what we're doing is uh, recapping what we've done for the last, what, month or two months here on Leaving the Ring. I think it's a great way for fans, if you didn't tune in or you missed uh, an episode or you missed an interview and you were like, well, I didn't get to listen to that. And then we do a show and we kind of recap on it and you're kind of lost. You're like, well, I didn't listen to that show, so I don't know exactly what you guys are talking about. So I thought this was a great way of just kind of going back uh, a month or two into the archives of what we've done. So I said to myself, why not call it Corner to Corner? Um, I've seen a lot of folks that are either posting on our Patreon uh, comments or emailing me saying, hey, more content. We're doing our best to do that. Absolutely. We got to produce certain things, but we're talking about it. Myself and Gabriel Montoya, we're talking about certain things that we want to do and want to make sure that it's up to par. We want to make sure that everything is uh, good quality, not just good quality, good content, uh, things that nobody else is talking about or or just trying to be similar. You know, Aficionados is one of them that nobody's doing in terms of having a HB, an ex-HBO uh, sports marketing uh, executive that's coming on and talking about numbers um, as well as ourselves talking about PDs and the way we do it or the way Gabriel Montoya does it. So we're just trying to make sure the content is there, is is that it's something new and fresh because it'd be no point of uh, promoting our Patreon to get people to help us out, you know, and definitely we want to bring on more folks onto the network. So if you got something that you think that is unique and honestly something that nobody else is bringing to the table, um, please do on leavingtheringgmail.com. Submit it to me. Let us take a listen to it, and then we'll go from there. Okay, well, let's get started. Um, well, first off, I better give you the backstory of why I decided to return. Uh, as a lot of folks know, I was on a hiatus. Um, it was just really tough for me to get on the air. But, um, you know, th- sudden things that uh, changed. So I was forced to come out. <laughs> I was forced to come out of vacation and start doing the podcast all over again, which I'm happy to say I, I started doing and, and, and I'm enjoying it a whole lot. Um, part reason is because I said, if I'm coming back, I want to come back and have fun. I want to make sure that we're having a lot of fun and wherever the show takes us is where we're going to go. So when I announced I was coming back, um, Immediately, uh, this is when this is when uh, um, Canelo Alvarez had just been tested positive for clinbuterol, and um, Gennady Golovkin was left without a dancing partner for Cinco de Mayo. So uh, uh, Sergey Domenchenko was name was put out there. He was a mandatory. And already the rumor has circulated that he wasn't going to fight him and he was going to move on and he was going to look to uh, get in the ring with Bonds Moderation, in which he did. So when this was all going on, I had tweeted that uh was not really a bad tune-up fight or busy fight, as some, would, some of us would call it, a stay-busy fight. So when I was tweeting that out there, promoter of uh, Dermachenko, Derm- uh, Lou DeBella, texted me and was like, yay, give me a call. So... um. I gave him a call, didn't answer, and I left him a text, and we kind of just went back and forth for a short bit uh, on texting. Then immediately on the day of April 19th, 
the day of our premiere back on Leaving the Ring with myself, uh, Dave Dwinnison and Mr. Gable Montoya, um, I was like, you know what? This is a really hot topic. Topic. A lot of folks are saying that Triple G is ducking his mandatory uh, Dermanchenko. So I decided to text Ludabella and said, "Hey, listen, I didn't know. I don't know what you want to. You know, I'm paraphrasing as as you know because I'm not looking on my phone. But um, I don't know what you wanted to talk about. But hey, we're gonna go live on the air if you want. Why don't you come come through? And you know, like I said, it was a long shot. And he hit me right back. He said, "Give me the number. I'll call in." So here's the interview of uh, Lula Bella calling in and discussing uh, whether or not Gennady Golovkin was ducking his fighter, the mandatory Sergey Dermanchenko. And I got to tell you, before I start this interview, uh, myself and Montoya were really shocked in how well-behaved Lula Bella was, to say the least. Here you go. Bullshit! 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 Into the mandatory. I imagine let's, you want to let's ask. Let's go about into that. the mandatory. Yeah, I definitely. I think that's where everybody's tuning in is they hear your thoughts, Lou, about the decision of of Gennady Golovkin moving forward with Vons Moderosian instead of your guy. I mean, like, I can't really fault him for that decision. You know what I mean? Like, right. like you, you, you're 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 about to make a shitload of money to fight a guy you beat once. And that you're really jacked up to beat again. And then that guy blows a drug test. And everyone starts declaring him, you know, he's cleared before there's ever a hearing. And then the guy ultimately gets suspended. And you go from uh, a multi, multi million dollar night to a night that's going to be, you know, uh, probably one of the lower purses he's made in, in recent years. And, you know, in that circumstance, do you want to fight my guy, who's probably the toughest, you know, as tough a guy as you can fight out there right now um, without, without a giant reward? So, you know, I understand why he wants to get basically in, in what he views as, as almost like a glorified exhibition. Um, you know, he has a huge money fight after this, this, uh, this dude gets off his suspension. Right, um, right. I mean, and, it's a smart business move, right? I mean, I mean, you, I mean, I agreed with. I didn't. I mean, look, I, I'm well, with everybody. It, you just can't have it both ways. Here's the thing: there's nothing. Can't. I'm not faulting them for for doing that, but at the same time, right. um, you can't have it both ways. So, if you don't want to take the risk and you don't want to fight my guy, my guy's got to earn a living. He's earned the right to be where he is, and you can't ask someone to step aside. See. It, people are getting confused. The, the, the issue on stepping aside for Vanis, that's not the issue. Like, we don't care. I mean, we have enough respect for Golovkin. He didn't cause this situation. I mean, right. like, I don't love the fight. I don't really give a shit about the fight, and I probably won't even watch it if I have something better to do. But, but that being said, I mean, I, I, like, he didn't do anything wrong. It's the other guy that did something yeah. wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. So I don't have any, you know. So if he wanted to walk into the ring as, as champion and then, you know, start negotiations that Monday to fight Derevyanchenko next, then there'd be no issue. But if he wants to basically make my guy wait another six months when, because the guy broke the rules and tested positive, no. Like that, you know, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to go for the money, then that belt 
goes away, and that's just the conscious decision you have to make. So as yeah. it stands, you know, they won't. The IBF has decided that they won't strip him for this fight. But that no, I don't, I don't think I don't think that they've sent in the paperwork yet for an exception. I imagine they're going to. Uh, but, but but the point I'm making is like it's really never been about like like I mean we're not sitting there running around with legal documents trying to make sure he can't fight on May 5th. It's not about right. that. It's what happens the next day. I mean. And, and basically, why does he need the belt on May 5th if he's going to not fight, if he's going to give it up afterward anyway? But, but if he wants to walk into the ring with the belt on May 5th, uh, no one, uh, that's not the issue. The issue is what happens next. And if he's not fighting Sergey next, then, then you know, Sergey wants the, the title vacated so he can get into the mix and fight a, a fight that's going to earn him money. He's got a wife and two kids. And he's earned the opportunity. He's a deserving mandatory. How unusual. This is why mandatories are, are, are created. So guys like him can force the issue and make a living. Right. Well, I think you said it a long time ago. Uh, the, the phrase has been truncated and kind of co-opted. But I think you said on this show, the belts matter until they don't. Right. Uh, and they do. You know, uh, do you think this situation, because anti-doping is so new on the landscape, you know, kind of, going back to what 2000, but really becoming more pervasive since 2010 uh, with Floyd Mayweather doing USADA testing. Do you think it's time that the sanctioning bodies take a look at this kind of exception? I mean, I, I don't even, I gotta be honest with you. I don't even know that the sanctioning body should be in the middle of the testing. I mean, if you want to know the truth, part of the problem right now is like, I mean, guys, I mean, look, I love the WBC and Mauricio for taking the initiative at the same time, no matter how much they like a guy or believe in a guy you have to, like, you know, sort of maintain adherence to your own sort of standards. And, and like, right now, part, like, you know, most of these organizations, one of the things I've always admired about the IBF, and look, it was created, frankly, out of an era where there was trouble, and the IBF, you know, went into receivership and, 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 and really had to, to go move toward adhering to its own rules. But the IBF does adhere to its own rules, whereas – you know, it, it seems that a lot, a lot of people sometimes make up their own rules or change them or adapt them. And, and you know, I, right, right now, look, the state of – I mean, the total testing is BS right now to begin with. The fighters themselves are the ones signing up for it and then, you know, and, and doing – you know, really. And, and, and then also who's determining when it starts? I mean, you, you know that there's huge differences between, you know, starting four weeks before a fight and, and, and starting – you know, when a fight is first signed and, and you know, look at this case, you I know, mean, it was the first time he was tested in Mexico and it apparently happened sooner than normal, you know, and, and just looking at the USADA website, Broner has been tested, tested eight times in the first two quarters of the year, but Vargas hasn't been tested at all. That's not well, a testing program. Well, I mean, you want to talk about not having a testing program. Um, Canelo, I mean, Canelo Alvarez was ordered the BC put Canelo, inserted Canelo into their mandatory position and dictated that there, there should be an immediate rematch. And, you know, the BC is the one that has the more evolved uh, program in terms of, you know, testing for performance-enhancing drugs and, and, and demanding that WBC fighters, in order to fight for the BC and get ranked, be part of their clean boxing program. And I don't know, until, I don't know if it changed in the last couple of weeks, but... I don't recall Canelo being part of that program. No, he's not. He's not. 
Well, how, how could that be? I mean, how could that be? Except this is boxing. <laughs> this is boxing. Right. But otherwise, how right. could that be? How could that be? Right. Uh, either the their rules explanation rules was that because he's he, – well, I mean, I was just going to uh, – their explanation for it was, well, because he's already in BADA testing, which makes no sense regardless. Um, he's he not part the of the clean program. boxing program. Right. Period. I mean, I've, I have loads of emails requiring me to have all my guys, you know, sign up and be part of the clean boxing program. You know, and, and, and you know, I, he's not part of the clean boxing program. How's that? You know, it's just. Right. Yeah, it makes no sense, but it, it does make sense. I mean, this fight is, is hypocrisy heaven, you know. Uh, we've had people defend Triple G as a guy that doesn't care about money, uh, only cares about the fans. You know, it, it is I mean, he like, should care about money. It's a frigging business, man. <laughs> like, what right. the fuck? I mean, like, look, yeah. the, most of these guys are going in there. And let me tell you something. If Triple G keeps taking punches, you know, with, with greater frequency like he has, you know, re, in, in recent fights, and he continues fighting well into his future, he, he's going to wind up paying a price too later. Because if you think that football is the only sport that has concussion issues, no one's paying attention. So, I mean, this is a business. This is a business, so he's making a business decision. But you know what? He has to respect other people's business decisions and rights also. So here's like what I would say. You know, if you're going to – if you, I would lay this on Triple G and Tom. If you said, okay, guys, Triple G wants to walk in the ring May 5th and he wants to do this fight, he wants to walk in with the, with the belt, you know, uh, if they say – that's fine. If they say they're going to fight us next, then that's cool. And – you know, we'll start negotiations on May 7th. If we know that they're fighting on September 15th against Canelo. If that's what they're doing, they also know Canelo was suspended. He didn't hurt himself. He was suspended. So, like, then just say, okay, fine. We're, we, we, want, we want the exception for this fight, and we're going to vacate after this fight. I mean, you can't have it both ways. So that interview was done on April 19th with Lou DiBella. So if you want to hear the entirety of the interview, you go back and uh, look up that episode on Leaving the Ring on iTunes and uh, just press play. And you can listen to the whole interview with Lou DiBella. Our next show was on April 26th. And on that episode, it was pretty interesting because there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, we had booked lawyer and sports manager uh, Kurt Amhoff on the show, as well as Jim Boone, the ticket guy that uh, comes on uh, the Leaving the Marine Network to give us the breakdown of tickets. So this is a really interesting show because, like I said, there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we had just found out that Canelo had submitted hair sample um, to be tested. And then um, we had the, both guests come on and they weighed in on the discussion about, about Canelo and Clean Buterol and the hair sample. But. But they really came on for a, a particular reason for, you know, to be on Leave the Ring, to be interviewed. So I'm going to play those interviews back for you. So in case you got caught up in the whole fiasco of 
Canelo and the hair testing, and you kind of missed out or didn't really pay attention to why these guys were on uh, leaving ring on April 26. Because I got to tell you, the interview that we did with them was really, really good. A lot of information, so it could have been lost in the translation of what was going on, circling around the two biggest uh, stars in boxing at the moment, at this moment, still. Um, and still, there's a big feud about them getting stepping in the ring in September. But that's another story. So uh, here's the two interviews between. Um, Kurt Imhoff and Jim Boone. How you doing? You're with Abner Mattis, and you're right here with Leave It in the Ring Radio. Why don't we jump into uh, this? Was in depth. Speaking of an in depth piece with a lot of information, uh, and I'm not disparaging its length at all. It's, it's great, man. Uh, World of Boxing and Povetkin win summary judgment motion, awarded 4.3 million dollars in escrow and Wilder dispute. Um, Kurt, can you can you break down the the, the bullet points of this epic? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, with, with this one. Um... I guess, you know, you, you kind of have to start with, you go back to 2014 when there was a, a lawsuit between World of Boxing and Don King over um, Guillermo Jones testing positive right on the eve of a fight, a title fight, a WBA title fight with Dennis Lebedev. And, you know, World of Boxing sued King because there was a provision in the contract, the bout agreement, that said that they, you know, they were obligated to provide him for the fight. And because he tested positive, they couldn't provide him for the fight. They suffered damages, and they sued King. And, you know, the Southern District of New York, federal court, they, they sued them there. And the Southern District found, yeah, you know what? King was obligated in this agreement. Jones had tested positive before, so it was foreseeable. And most importantly, the WBA stepped up. I mean, Lebedev basically did what Wilder did. When, when Jones tested positive, he refused to fight. He's just like, I'm not fighting this guy. And the WBA <clears throat> stepped up and, uh, and sent out a letter and said, hey, uh, you know, um, they're just like, we, 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 I'll quote their language. The letter they put out a couple of days later, like the WBA would not and could not sanction a championship bout when it was aware of Jones's positive test as this would violate WBA rules may cause unnecessary harm to Lebedev and would otherwise compromise the nature of WBA world title bouts. Now, you know, I'm not one who's usually (laughs) going to tell you that the WBA is the most reputable organization, but they did the right thing there, right? So on the strength of that case, when Deontay Wilder is supposed to fight his mandatory, Alexander Povetkin. There, there's a big, you know, there's a purse bid. I mean, very contentious negotiations. Purse bid, you know, uh, World of Boxing, the guy behind World of Boxing has a ton of money. So he, he bids like over $7 million for the fight. So the fight's going to Moscow. Um, very shortly b- b- before the date of the fight, oh, yeah, they agreed to Vada testing. Um, and more importantly, they uh, they – once the purse bid was done, they actually had to, you know, come up with a bout agreement. You still got to sign a bout agreement. Very contentious negotiations because World of Boxing, having won that lawsuit against Don King, they knew that that, you know, must produce the fighter language was, was you know, kind of <laughs> to be hairy. So they, they did not want that in there. They didn't want it really? in there. Yeah, <laughs> they did not want that language in there. So the, the two sides negotiating, basically they can't come to an agreement. So they went to the WBC and said, listen, you've got, you got to mediate this. You know, we've got to come up with a bout agreement. So the WBC essentially drafts the agreement, and eventually they, they browbeat um, World of Boxing to agree to that language, you know, that you have to produce the fighter for the fight. So 
you know, so then what happens, of course, you know, about a week before the fight, Povetkin, you know, had been, had been doing the testing, and he was fine. He was, you know, the first couple tests, he, he was clean. And then he tests positive for uh, meldonium, which, uh, you know, any fans of the movie Black Panther, don't, don't confuse that with vibranium. It is not vibranium, <laughs> it's meldonium. Um, and uh, he, uh, you know, so it, it comes to light about a week before the fight, and Wilder's just like, I'm not fighting, you know, it, it's bad enough I got to go to Moscow. I'm not fighting a guy who's juicing. So he basically does the same thing that Lebedev did against Jones. He's just like, I'm not fighting him, you know. I'm not going to do it. He just tested positive. But the WBC, unlike the WBA, did not come out and unequivocally say, okay, well, it's against our rules. This guy tested positive. You know, Wilder's right. I wouldn't put him in jeopardy. I wouldn't compromise a world title fight. They said, uh, you know what? We're going to investigate this. <laughs> so um, eventually, you know, there's a lot of pressure put on the WBC, and WBC says, okay, we'll postpone the fight. So they, they postpone the fight, and uh, they allow Wilder to fight, and Wilder, you know, fights Chris Ariola, and he breaks his arm, and, you know, eventually the fight doesn't get made. Um, and the WBC then comes back with a decision, and they say, you know what? We, we just can't, we can't determine whether he actually tested positive for, for meldonium. Now, in fairness to the WBC, WADA, which had put meldonium on the prohibited list on right. uh, January 1st, 2016, um, basically moved the goalpost. They kind of, you know, walked that back a little bit and said, well, you know, if, if the sample was taken between January and March, um, then, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's a no fault. So, you know, Povetkin's was taken in April, so he, he was still on the hook. But then they came back later in June and said, well, any tests taken between January and the end of September are no fault. So, in essence, the WBC did actually, you know, they, you know it's, it's definitely debatable whether, whether you know, you, you would count that as, as a... As a uh, as a, a violation, but at the time in April, it still was a violation. So eventually, the parties, you know, uh, you know, the WBC, you know, saying this, and because of that, because of that Guillermo Jones case, you know, Wilder's camp, they sue because they're just like shit. You know, those guys want a yeah. million dollars. Same facts. You know, we're suing World of Boxing, so they sue World of Boxing. You know, eventually the judge decides, all right, you know, the WBC is having an issue with whether, you know, they could determine whether, you know, he actually tested positive or not. So why don't we have a trial on just that issue, whether this guy actually, you can ascertain whether he tested positive for uh, meldonium um, after January 1st. So they have the trial. Experts testify on both sides. Both fighters testify. And the jury comes back and says, yeah, damn right he did. He definitely tested positive for it. So... You know, I mean, there's there's a lot more to it, but eventually the the WBC, you know, I mean, Povetkin is supposed to fight uh, an eliminator after that, and he tests positive for another drug. So WBC is like, all right, we've got this jury verdict. He's tested positive for another drug. On the basis of those two things, he's suspended. But then Povetkin uh, appeals that decision by the WBC, and once again, the WBC flip-flops back and says, no, you know, we're going back to our, our old decision. We can't ascertain. Even if there's a jury verdict, we can't ascertain whether he actually tested positive or not. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, 
Oh wow. So <laughs> so so now both sides file summary judgment motion. Of course, Wilder's side is thinking, hey, we won the trial. So now we just need to wrap this case up and get our money. Oh oh yeah, the one thing I left out. There's like, you know, Wilder's purse was in escrow, which, you know, in international fights that's what you do because if you don't put it in escrow and you get ripped off in Moscow, good luck litigating and getting that money back. <laughs> so you have you always have the promoter, the, the, the promoter, the, the international promoter, put the money in escrow before you leave the U.S. And it's probably the same, you know, for a Russian fighter coming to the U.S. as well. You do the same thing. Um, so the money's in escrow, and as soon as this guy popped positive, Wilder's side's like, all right, keep it in escrow. You know, we, we got a dispute here. So, you know, these guys, they, both sides filed the summary judgment motions. And the court is just like looking at this mess. They see the WBC flip-flopping back and forth, but they look at the bout agreement. And because the WBC drafted it, it's basically like, okay, you know, the parties will basically do whatever the WBC decides. You know, all, all, all the disputes in this case, you know, they're at the discretion of the WBC. The WBC's rules, you know, uh, shall apply to this thing. And you look at their anti-doping rules, and they are just like, you know, there's no strict liability. Um, they're explicit about that. And, you know, all of the penalties, there's no set penalties. It's all in the discretion of the WBC. So the court just looked at this and said, listen, the bout agreement is, is subject to the, to the WBC rules. The WBC rules, in essence, say, you know, it doesn't explicitly say that you can't use PEDs. Hmm. <laughs> it's basically like there's no strict liability and it's, it's completely in their discretion. And in their discretion, even though, you know, we had this jury trial, um, you know, they, they said they can't ascertain it. So there's, you know, basically this guy did not breach. He didn't breach the agreement. Basically the WBC caused the, the agreement to be breached and, and the fight not to happen. So I can't find World of Boxing or Povetkin libel. Even though you had Vada <laughs> finding a violation, you had a jury, you know, finding a violation. And, you know, they appealed that and, and, and the judge upheld the decision. You know, even with all that, you know, this this guy even basically. That, even with all that language there, we still can't find anybody at fault. <laughs> right, 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 right. Even though, even though you know, Vada found he tested positive, and a jury found that you know he he tested positive. He didn't test. You know, he he didn't violate the agreement. He didn't violate wow. the agreement. You know. So uh, yeah, it, it it just it just shows just a how fractured. You know the uh, how fractured boxing is because you had the WBA. You know, if, if you're fighting in a WBA fight, you're screwed. If if you fight in a WBC fight, you're only screwed if the WBC decides you're screwed. <laughs> right. Well, and it's uh, I was reading into in your takeaways about just how fractured it all is, like you're saying. And and um, I wrote a piece around the same time, the 2016. I wrote about uh, hair testing was. I polled everybody that had an email uh, as an athletic commission on the ABC website, grabbed all I their emails, that. and, and that. did a, like a 20 <laughs> something question poll of everybody's anti doping programs. And like, I think five or six groups got back to me. And it was literally a range of, you know, Nevada and California at the top trying to do new things, uh, and all the way down to, we've heard about that. We don't have one, but good luck. <laughs> you know, uh, and the silence, you know, the big valley or, of silence or, from everybody else. I think you even got one back that said, uh, we don't have none of that. And never, that was it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I guess uh, that's that's the problem with you know with uh, you know uh, I mean I'm you know I'm not usually a guy who's like you know oh you know screw the government the government needs to stay out of my life uh, yeah but I mean sometimes I am but but with this it's like you've got 50 states all of which have you know most of which have commissions. And yeah, you could literally have fifty different rules on this. I mean, it's, and then it's also just... Indian land as well, uh, right, to, you know, right. yeah, which are their own commissions. That's why it was like seventy-six emails I sent out. Um, so yeah, and, and then on top of that, you've got the sanctioning bodies who obviously aren't in a line. You know, the WBC, the WBA, IBF, WBO—they all have different policies. They all have right. different policies in in regards to this. So it's like and, there's, and all there's of them absolutely have like... no consistency. And, and each, each of them have their strengths and weaknesses, but nobody's doing it perfectly. I think WBC is getting close with, with this, but having no liability uh, or no strict liability is a huge problem. So it's, it's just not – you have to start at WADA code, in my opinion, and kind of like, like Margaret has done with WADA. You know, I don't want to test for THC because she, she saw the future that weed would start becoming legal, particularly you know, in, in Nevada and in, in California where there are a lot of fights and fighters. Um, right. So she never never tested for it, uh, and then you know doing the CIR testing uh, uh, on the front end, you know, on every sample was big. I think now she needs to adopt hair testing, or at least as a confirmatory test, uh, within you know uh, within her, her her menu there. But uh, uh, what are some of the other takeaways that you had from this? I mean, is this is this something possible? That this this last paragraph of yours, uh, when you said it would be nice if the promoters got together and formed a boxing league. And set out a clear and uniform set of anti-doping rules. Well, they tried the that. UFC's use of you that, Was it called the PBC? Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no. I, was, the, I don't think the P. I, you know what? You know what's funny is is my my vision of it would more be more like um, I don't know if you know a few years ago there there was the Boxing Promoters Association, right? That's what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember. And, that. And the, the whole idea behind that was. It was basically because Heyman had a, a, an exclusive output deal with HBO, right? And and the other promoters were pissed off because HBO at that at that time was the big bank in boxing, and and you know no one else had an exclusive deal, so they were kind of like you know especially the smaller promoters were kind of like I was going to say that know, right. Star Boxing started it right. If I right, right, time. right. The Guardia, yeah. but eventually Guardia, like yeah. a, a a ton of them got involved with it, but that that you know. The idea is good. You know, I, I think the only way Great anything idea. gets done in, in, in the sport right. is if the promoters get together, like NFL owners and all that, and, and form a league. And, you know, because what, what are the complaints about boxing? It, it, it's always the same. It's kind of like, you know, the best don't yeah. fight the best. The ratings <laughs> are horrible. You know, the decisions are awful. There's no uniform drug policy. I mean, there needs to be a central body for boxing. You know, I mean, and, and, and you know, I've, I've, I've been yammering about this for the last, you know, well, pretty much since I've, I've been writing about boxing. But, um, you know, the, the thing that really opened my eyes was, well, A, the Boxing Promoter Association, but also the, the World Boxing Super Series. Like, what a revelation that is. You know, you're just like, wow, the best fighting the best. I mean, at Cruiserweight, it's awesome. And, and the sanctioning bodies, it's like, no one cares. <laughs> you know, like... Like they could strip these guys of of all their belts, but you know the two best guys are fighting, right? Um, right. So if, if 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 you had if the promoters got together and formed this league, they could actually get at some of these bigger issues that that have been killing the sport. Too many champs, you know, the best not fighting the best, drug testing, 
all this stuff. They they could make it uniform, and they could also give the fans what they want, which is you know the best fighting the best. But yeah, part of that would be, obviously, yeah. I mean that that would be one of the things is is, is to bring some sort of uniformity to the drug testing. Like, you know, the UFC has. And again, like you're saying, I don't know if there ever will be a perfect system. I mean, WADA's not perfect. I mean, you know, the IOC, there's always controversy with that. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've read a ton of things about, you know, there's, there's arguments for and against strict liability. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's you know, there's, there's a lot of things to quibble with. But, but having one uniform policy would just be nice. You know, it, you wouldn't have these ridiculous results on the same facts, you know, with <laughs> two different yeah. events, you know. Um, uh, yeah, so as I understand, I mean, they're probably going to appeal, right? Uh, they're going to oh, appeal definitely. the appeal. Yeah, definitely. so it's, uh, this, this should go on for a while. But, yeah, I, I wonder. It, it's strange. Uh, out of all the major sports, has boxing's business ch- changed the least? I mean, it's, it's gone different places from, you know, free TV to pay-per-view and cable. But, I mean, in terms of the way they do business, everybody's out for themselves instead of, like you're saying, form a league, figure out a way to, you know, a collective bargaining agreement, something – Share the wealth, and like the sport would rise from that. I think. I agree. Absolutely. I, I mean, just look at the World Boxing Super Series. It's it's awesome. I mean, people are so excited, you know, about about you know, and even even from the 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 vantage point of television programming. I mean, you get to watch quarterfinals. You know, you get to follow these fighters' stories from the quarterfinals to the semifinals to the finals. You build anticipation. You know, I mean, that, that's that's what good television is all about. I mean, the other sports have figured it out. That's why they have playoffs, you know, or in tennis, that's why they have big tournaments, you know, because right. it's, it's exciting to watch that. You want to see one winner. You want to see one champion, you know. Um, it's basic drama, too. Like you have right. a beginning, middle, and end. You know, Absolutely. the stakes raise with each, you know, bracket. Oh, my God, this is for even more, even though it's still just a fight. It just, yeah, basic storytelling. Nobody right. wants to do that. Right, right, right. Another thing that opened my eyes was, you know, reading a, a sports business journal article where ESPN, the guy from ESPN said, you know, the the thing that, you know, I mean, criticizes, of, you know, the PBC definitely deserves some criticism just for blowing all that money and, you know, and like, and like having all those TV networks and, and just, you know, kind of pissing a huge opportunity away. But, but the, the guy from ESPN was like, you know, they were interested in doing something with top rank. Because the PBC showed them that when you had compelling matchups, you know, boxing competed with major sports in ratings, right. you know. Um, you know, but when you didn't have compelling fights, people didn't watch, you know. So it, 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 it's like, and he's like, you know, it just kind of brought them back to the realization. It's like any other sport, you know. When you have compelling matchups, people tune in. It's, it's not just this, you know, stepchild, uh, fringe sport. It's, it's a real you know, sport. Right. Takes two to tangle. You know, good fights equals audience. Right, right, that's right. You so know, I'm just like, it's out. not rocket science, you know. Form, no, you know, no, it's not. have the best fight in the best, you know. Form a league, you know. Take care of these, you know. Put put really, you know, every, you know, the the, the people in the know kind of know who the really good judges are. Put them in the big fights, you know. Let them judge the big fights. Let's not have people who if you you can see a mile away are are not going to be. A, particularly good judge on the fight, judging the fights, you know, that would help a lot with the credibility of the sport, you know, uniform drug testing and go with, you know, one set of ratings, like take the rings ratings or box rex ratings or, you know, the transnational ratings or do a hybrid like they do in college basketball. I mean, it's, you know, I don't think any of this is, is, is too complicated, but I like the, I like the ring, you know, uh, that, that idea. Um, 
I kind of trust them, and and uh, I trust Doug uh, more than anything. You know, Doug's awesome. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, full of integrity. Um, he just fully like just deserving of that that position as editor in chief of the ring. I, I like the sport. Just it just feels right, you know. And and uh, yeah, I think we can move in that direction. I mean, because the ratings should matter, and it should be. Um, I don't know. It, you know, you, you just watch. Everybody always insists it's it's not corrupt, but then you watch the way things go, and you're like, it, but it's certainly rigged in somebody's favor, you know. Uh, yeah, but you know what? In, in fairness, though, I mean, watch watch any basketball game, and and tell me the home team doesn't get the calls, you know. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I've certainly noticed. I mean, as a guy who's managed fighters for 20 years, I mean, when I take my fighters on the road, yeah, you know, the crowd's yelling, and if it if you know. What, what what I thought was a close fight ends up being like a lopsided fight against my guy. You know, I mean, you're not going to get any breaks on the road. I mean, that, you know, I, I don't know that if you have subjective judging and officiating, if you, if you can ever, you know, take that element completely out. But at the very least, I mean, yeah, you, I think, you know, people know that guys, you're, you know, like Steve Weisfeld and Julie Letterman are pretty good judges, you know, and, and they're, they have a, a body of work that's pretty consistent and, if there's like a really, really important fight that millions and millions and millions of people are watching, you might want to have them judging that fight. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, you know, they're going to do it with integrity. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, it, it would be nice if we had, you know, a, a great set of ratings, make it the rings, you know, do, do it a tournament style in every division. You use the ring ring magazines uh, ratings for, for seedings. And, uh, you know, just, just have it organized like that, you know, and, and tell me that the television networks won't come running you know, for that. Uh, you know, and I mean, you look at the deal that the UFC just did or, or, or is in the process of doing, they're putting their fights on like two different networks for like hundreds of millions of dollars, the budget. And I'm sorry, the UFC is just not as deep talent wise as if you got all the boxing promoters together. And and had like the the you know use the rings top ten and had the best fight the best. Sorry, it's just a better product. It just is. Yeah, and it just be worth a hell of a lot more money. Yeah. yeah. Get Mr. Honda absolutely involved, right. like everybody. You know. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I put a poll out. I put a poll out last week, right after the fights, uh, about the middleweight division. I had said it's stacked and potential to have great fights put together, but the only thing stopping. Uh, this were the promoters, and I asked fans to, to, you know, kind of weigh in in the poll was, are promoters the ones ducking each other, or is it the fighters? And 69% fans agreed. It's the promoters that duck each other, making great fights. Absolutely. It's it's business, you know. They're, they're going to mm-hmm. try and, you know, uh, keep their guys out of, out of fights they don't think they can win, um, and, you know, Keep them making kind of mediocre paydays until they can, you know, do the big cash in. You know, they'll they'll keep them away from tough fights. But you know, my 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 answer to that would be if if you had this system, you know, the money will follow, right? I mean, you know, the networks if they know they're going to get ratings, they're going to pay for it. <laughs> you know, I mean, Top Rank's doing a really good job as long as they're putting on good fights. You know, Top yeah. Rank has has represented, you know, on 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 ESPN. Um, you know, if you actually had, you know, all of the promoters, and to me, it's just such a shame what's happened with the PBC too, because they've had they they've got the best roster in boxing. I mean, they've got at the very least the deepest roster in boxing. You look at the top tens in every division; they have like, you know, more than twice as many fighters in there as any other major promoter. Um, you know, it's it's a shame that they don't have a network deal. 
but you know they unfortunately they have no one to blame but themselves for that. You know they they uh, right. You know, they the plan didn't, blew, the blew plan didn't really roll out. Right. The plan didn't really roll out the way they were kind of hoping it was going to roll out. So soon after Kurt Emoff uh, left the show, we were joined by our next guest, Jim Boone, who weighed in as well as the fractured sport that we all we all love. Here's what he had to say. Um, and it's just crazy, like how, how fractured the sport still is, like how old our sport is and how how little it's changed. You know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. If you look at back in like the 20s uh, when uh, Dempsey fought Gene Tunney and Tunney, you know, famously got the check for just under a million dollars and he sent it back to Tex Records um, or Richards, excuse me, uh, with like 10000 on it so he had a million dollar check. I believe at that time uh, the Yankees murder row, the three salaries of those guys is like $40,000. So the sport wow. has been so huge for so long, yet, like you just mentioned, it is so fractured between the different promoters and the different belts. And uh, just, you know, people having, you know, like the, I guess like the, the, the not the me attitude, but uh, always protecting their interest more than that of the overall sport. You know, this, this sport's always been about gimme, gimme, gimme to the guys that are behind the scenes. Um, there's really, I wouldn't say they're out of touch with the fans, but they're pretty much, they don't really care what the fans think until it's time to care about it, you know? Definitely. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just crazy how things are, it's crazy how, because every business relies on return customers and boxing for some reason has been able to get, you know, get fallen between the cracks when it comes to that type of business sense. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a way of looking at it. And, you know, you have a lot of hardcore fans, but, you know, bringing in the, the casual fan, you really got to have, a, you know, a major, major fight. Otherwise, they kind of have this, you know, laissez-faire attitude about it. And, you know, with better fights, I think that attitude becomes, well, especially now, for example, the top-ranked deal, where you can see good fights when you're sitting at the bar and everything else. You know, I think it will get that casual fan base, you know, you know, more interested, you know, and, and, and I think that's actually something that is happening right now. So, so far, I thought we were going on a really good run for the short bit that we've been back. But things got really interesting because the whole fact that the main topic with everybody, social media podcasting was about Canelo Alvarez and the Clint Breed Roll and the hair sample. So I started communicating with the chief uh, matchmaker of Golden Boy, Roberto Diaz. And kind of the similar situation where I was like, hey, this should be a long shot, but let's give it a shot anyways for the for our listeners, right? Uh, I'm going to ask Roberto Diaz if he'd come on. Reason was because there were so many questions looming around uh, Canelo and the, and the hair sample. Like, why was it hidden? Why didn't nobody know about it? Um, and all of a sudden, it was just released out there. To, so, so... He immediately answered back to me, and he was like, "Yeah, let me come on, let me come, let me come on your podcast, and let's discuss this, and let me answer any questions you guys have about about Canelo or anything else that's going on in Golden Boy." So, here's the May third interview that we had with Chief Matchmaker of Golden Boy, Roberto Diaz. What was the mood for Canelo, Roberto, when he found this out? I mean, like you said, you've known him since he was a teenager. What what kind of mood was he in? finding this out you know i think it's it's been very hard for him it's he's it 
been because he's a fighter that uh, has a lot of pride. He's a fighter that's doing everything he can to fight the best, even at an early age, to to give the fans the best. He, he, he really does a lot for the fans. And to see how many fans obviously jump on the wagon and, and, and accuse him of doping and accuse him of it, it, it affected him. It affected him a lot. I'm, you know, I don't think I've ever thought I'd ever ask this question, uh, but I like to be thorough. Do you know where they got the hair from? Was it a head hair, a foot? Head. 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 The back of the, the right. like, back, the back of the, like, towards the neck. And and it was quite a bit. It was quite a bit. Huh. Really? Let yeah, me ask I, uh, you, because because a lot of fans are saying, why was this such a hush hush? Like, why why did you guys wait for the end result? Um. Could you enlighten us? Well, there was an ongoing investigation. There was an ongoing investigation from the commission, and we didn't want to, you know, start saying more than until everything got cleared. I mean, we knew at the end of the day it was going to be cleared because, number one, what a lot of people don't see, oh, he, you know, it's very different. And I'm not saying, look, when if you're doping, you're doping regardless of when. But if you you get caught with a positive test, during a fight week or after a fight, that means you've done it during your competition. But when you're, and one, you've got to look at the levels. Most importantly, what good could it have done with those levels three months before the fight? Are you trying to, right. as a fighter, you're not cutting weight three months before the fight. As a fighter, three months before the fight, the weight, every fighter is going to tell you, I'm not going to have problems with weight until you get to fight week. That's when you realize, I'm having trouble making weight. Right. Every fighter's not worried about, I got to, because, you know, it, it, what, what Clembuterol is used for, it's really for asthma, to open up the lungs. So they're saying, oh, he's using it to get better stamina. Not three months before the fight. The bottom line is, to be honest, from what I've looked in and became, started looking and reading on the subject, it really doesn't enhance a fighter because if you use it during fight week, you're not going to all of a sudden get a stamina that you didn't get throughout training. You're going to get training. You're going to get the stamina from running, from putting in the work through the months of work. You're not all of a sudden could take this magic potion and all of a sudden, okay, now I have stamina to go 12 rounds. And if you're using it three months before, you're not using it to cut weight. The proof was that, I mean, it, it, is, it is a social problem in Mexico. In fact, there was a, there was a group of uh, WADA employees that went to certify laboratories. It was never published, really, but this is fact that happened. It recently just came out. A few years ago, they went into Mexico City to certify laboratories to make sure everything was, on the, you know, certifiable. And... They went out to dinner one night. When they came back to continue the certifications of the laboratories the following day, one of the lab guys told them from Mexico, I want urine samples from all of you. Only one of the WADA um, uh, employees that went out there tested negative. That person <laughs> had chicken. Really? That person had chicken. And the, the, the lab, uh, the head of the lab said, Okay, now, how many of you doped last night? And, of course, all of them said, no, 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 none, no. The pro the, what he was trying to p put across was 
this is a problem not just with athletes. This is a problem right. in Mexico. In and Mexico. and I've said yeah. it. Look, if you test non-athletes, civilians in Mexico, you're going to get positive tests of clenbuterol because it's in the meat. It's, it's proven. There's been, a, how do you say, rastros. There's been a, the, like the slaughterhouses uh, closed right. down in certain states because of this. What, why do you Obviously, when it's an athlete of the magnitude of Canelo, it's very easy to point fingers. Yeah, I mean, you guys submitted receipts and, and everything to Nevada, as I understand it. He seemed to my know wife, where he ate. My wife worked for him. My wife worked for him. She she did a calendar based off all his credit accounts, all his uh, his credit card, all the statements really? of wow. where he ate weeks or like. Uh, Two weeks before and two weeks after. You know. Now, now I wanted I wanted to mention to you guys something that really made me laugh when I saw it. Uh-huh. And again, ignorance sometimes is 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 what we have there. But I heard Pauli Malinaji say something like, "Oh, the reason he got busted this time is he didn't expect them to test them in Mexico." I, 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 I guys, heard that. <laughs> you heard that, right? You heard that. I heard I that. Laughed yeah. when I saw that because you know. A lot of people, a lot of fans hear Polly and, and, and wow, whatever Polly says is true. It's real because he's, he's good. I won't take that away from him. When he's commenting the fights, he's very good. But when he said that, I'm like, wow, I can't believe it, you know, because it's not like the Vada employees, the techs are out there just walking the street and say, oh, there's Canelo. Hey, you got to give me your piss test right now. That's not how it works. Of course they knew where his whereabouts. You got to fill out forms. You got to say, this is my home address. This is my gym address. I train from this hour to this hour. This is where you can find me. So right. when Polly said, Polly said something like, the reason he got busted this time is they, he didn't expect them to come out in Mexico. What? So they saw him on the street and said, Canelo, we're here to take your urine sample? No, he had turned in the forms already because he had registered about it for the fight. Yeah, now, uh, yeah. normally, normally he doesn't. Uh, he's tested in the U.S. because he comes to camp ten weeks before. This time he got delayed in his move from Mexico into camp to San Diego because his visa was pending. He had to renew, and that took a little bit longer than normal. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, hmm. I, I'm I'm not sure if you've heard some of the accusations of. How 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 did Canelo's camp not know they was contaminated when they, he comes when his camp when his trainer and everybody else come from a family of butchers? What I heard your that. Thoughts I heard that, that, and it's funny you know? because <laughs> here, here's here's what it is, it, it, and it's true. Uh, Don Chepo used to be a butcher to probably like twenty thirty years ago. Doesn't mean today he's a butcher, but right. But what they don't understand is once the fight's over. Canelo has his own life, and Chepo and Eddie have their own life. They go in jail. So they're not, like, watching over him. Now, people say, I, I've heard the one that he has so much money, how doesn't he have money of uh, meat flown in from other countries? Countries, well, right, yeah. How do you know you're not going to test positive for hormones, like something else? You don't know that until, right. obviously, you, ca- you get something like this happens that you become more careful. Now, I've heard, well, he doesn't eat tacos at a taco stand. He doesn't necessarily have to be the one to go to the taco stand and stand there and get tacos. But I've been with him <laughs> right. as well 
yeah, I've been with him as well where we get to the house and he says, hey, to one of his friends, go get some tacos. Well, where are they going to get the tacos? When they come in, we eat them. We don't say, hey, where's the taco from or where's this, you know? Right. <laughs> and also, a very good example is Glenbuterols used by the farmers who are trying to cut the cost down to grow the cow. So right. instead of growing it for a year, you grow it in six months, well, you save six months of cost of feeding it, of, of you know, babying it, whatever. You sell that to the slaughterhouse who chops it up and sends it to the taco stand, to Sam's Club, or to the top restaurant. So you don't know. It, it's not a social economic problem. It's just a yeah. social problem. That's right. I was, uh, people were assuming that it was the taco truck, like it was low-end meat. And I'm like, well, it's getting a higher protein exactly. yield. Uh, it's making it leaner. That sounds actually like better meat to me. I, I, think, uh, exactly. I think what those fans want, those fans in particular want, though, is they want you guys or anybody to stick their head up a cow's ass just to make sure that it's not contaminated. You know what I mean? That's what they're looking for in reality. <laughs> and, is, and it's impossible to know. You, don't, you can't exactly. go into a restaurant and say, uh, hey, is this meat contaminated with Combatero? Because right. they don't know. They don't they know. Don't know. Of so course it's not, not where know. it comes from or where you're eating it. It's the risk of eating meat. Now, Canelo doesn't eat meat once he's in camp, but not because... It might have Climbeturel because obviously when he's in camp, he's in, in San Diego and in the U.S. because he says it's hard to digest. It makes me feel sluggish. Um, so I don't eat meat. But he was, the true. thing was, he wasn't in camp yet. He wasn't in sparring. He was working out because he's always working out. He'll take a run here. He'll take a run there. He'll swim here, swim there, shaking up, preparing for camp. But he wasn't in his concentration. When you go into concentration, diets change. When you're on uh, outside of concentration, look, a great example is a great friend of mine, Ricky Hatton. Outside between fights, he would go up <laughs> 50 pounds. Oh, yeah. There wasn't a, there wasn't a Guinness he didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, oh, let me, just to clarify, did you guys ever have that conversation? I mean, because after what, Francisco Vargas, also uh, one of your fighters, tested positive. For Clembuterol, I remember writing Eric about Eric Morales did test. as well. Eric Morales did as well. Right. That was, he was Eric first, Morales right? tested positive, and, and Francisco Vargas. I spoke to them after because, you know, when it, when it happens, and they both fought, it's it sort of gets forgotten. Especially like Francisco Vargas did like seventeen tests after, all negative. In fact, Francisco Vargas had started testing prior to the positive test. He was in the U.S., started testing, negative, goes to Mexico City. His mom prepares him a, a beef stew, uh, a cocido, we call it, which is a soup, stew, you know, vegetables and beef. He has it arriving. The next day, he has it again, and that night is when they showed up to his house to test him. He had it twice, hmm. and he tested higher than Canelo. Well, so wow. so that do you guys go? I mean, have you had that conversation? Is it is it? Uh, there's kind of a punitive nature, I think, to all of this that people want to know that that Canelo, you know, knows he screwed up, uh, but that also he's going to take steps. I guess, uh, you know, um, is he going to join a program? Is he going to um, 
Duvada. I know Maurizio intimated that he was, but have you guys talked about that? And Oscar also said that he'd be testing every day, which I think maybe a little bit promoter speak because I don't think anybody tests every day. But uh, what, what are you guys doing in terms of next steps with him? Well, not only with him, with all our fighters, we are telling them, you know, this is a learning experience for all of us because obviously, like I said, with Eric Morales and, and, and Francisco Vargas, the fights went on. So it's like a scare, but it's like, okay, you know, it, it, the fight went on. And, and you sort of forget about it. Um, this one obviously was, <laughs> it, it was more damaging. Obviously, the fight got canceled. The fight didn't go on. So, yes, obviously, we're notifying all our fighters. If you go to Mexico, whether it's vacation, whether it's to train, whether it's to whatever, avoid the meat because you don't know where you're gonna eat, where you're gonna eat it, where it's gonna come from. So just avoid it. And look, we're trying to sign up not only Canelo, all our fighters, you know, into Avada testing. A lot of our fighters already requested. Saddam Ali's requested it on his fight. Miguel Cotto was someone that requested it. And just so the fans know. When a fighter requests it, they're basically paying for it because it is expensive. Canelo requested yeah. it in all his fights. Right, except for the Liam Smith fight, which I think Eric had said that it, it the fight kind of came together later uh, or late or something, and then they weren't able to late, get it. And also, uh, it's an issue with, with in the UK. In fact, right now with Liam Smith, uh, that Saddam requested it. I had to. I spoke to Robert Smith and I spoke to Margaret Goodman. It's very difficult because they have their own t- like testing, and what what the camp was opposing was like, look, we're not going to get double tested. So we said, okay, once well, while you're out in the UK, you can get tested there by, uh, you know, BBVSE with whatever the WADA is out there. But once you get here, you're under WADA, and we need all the reports of all the tests to go over to Margaret Goodman. Margaret accepted, and obviously then, you know, Liam uh, had some some illness, some allergic reaction, and he pulled out of the fight. But sometimes it's difficult because of where they are. So the week after having Roberto Diaz on the leaving the ring, I decided I wanted to have Everlast representative Ernesto Gabione come on. Reason being is because Ernie's very well respected in the boxing community. He's worked alongside of a lot of fighters. So his inside of the fight game is like no other. I knew that he was going to come, come across great on, on the podcast and that fans were really going to grab to what Ernie was going to discuss on the show. And you know what? It panned out exactly what I thought was going to happen, which was fans were going to want to hear more from Ernesto. As soon as Ernie got off the show, I got tons of emails of fans saying, got to have him back on. Everybody seemed to love what he had to say on the show, his insight, his stories about Diego Chico Corrales and about other fighters. So take a listen to what Ernie had to say on May 10th on Leave the Ring. Let me let me ask you something. I'm gonna bring the vibe down a little bit because I know this is kind of close to you know, this is kind of personal. What I'm gonna about, talk yep. to you about, um, yep. Diego Corrales, brother. Could you could you share um, some share some uh, memories? Because I know I know you were really close to him. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, uh, the the day that he passed away, um, I came home from somewhere and Gary Randall called. Mm-hmm. And um, 
he he called me. He goes, hey, bro, did you hear? I said, no, what's wrong? He goes, Diego. I said, what's wrong with Diego? And I figure he's in jail or something, you know, because he, he, he had a tormented life. I mean, there was a lot of right. genuine he was one of the more genuine guys, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, he he wore whatever he was on his sleeve. And and I see, he goes, no, bro. I said, what? He goes, he's dead. And I like fucking lost it. I just I, I lost it. I mean, it wasn't right. Um, he was someone that that befriended me. He's probably the first fighter friend I had. You know, I mean, anytime I'd go to to you know Goosen's gym, Joe's gym, because it wasn't ten. I mean. You know it is Ten Goose Gym, but it's always Joe's Gym, you know? Right, Going to right. Joe's Gym, and you'd see D there, and he, you know, he's, he's wrapping up, and we'd shoot the shit. And, you know, after the first fight, and he was prepping for the rematch, you know, I'd go visit him almost weekly. And, um, you know, he was telling us the stories of the fight, you know, the first fight, how he literally pee, peed dark red, you know, for a week. Um, oh, shit. You know, how he he couldn't walk. Um, uh-huh. he, obviously he couldn't have sex for a long time afterwards. Cause uh, he goes, one of the first things I look forward to is spending time with my wife. And I couldn't even fucking do that. And he goes, it, right. it, it, just, it just sucked. And, 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 and so you got to share stories with him and, and you got to uh, get to know him and his wife, Michelle at the time and, and their baby. Don, oh God, Danya, I think was that her name at the time. I, I it, it bleeps me though. But I mean, my wife had met him. We we met up at the Rocky Wars Barrera fight at Staples Center. Um, you know, it, it it's some wonderful wonderful times. Mostly spent at, at at Joe's gym. You know, a lot of times, you know, sometimes you'd see him at Vegas and he'd hang out for a little bit. But you know, you know, he's one of those guys that that you gravitate towards him because he was real. And 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 sometimes that realness gets to you. And 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 unfortunately, it got to him a little bit. And, you know, he held on a little too long to, to his career. And, you know, it, it, to this day, I, I've not seen, since he passed, I've not seen the first fight in its entirety. I'll see bits and pieces. I'll, oh, wow. I'll see little things. I just can't see it. I, I, I can't. Right. You know, I was there, I was there for the rematch. Um, and, 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 you know, it was an electric atmosphere and everything. But I, I probably won't ever watch it in its entirety. It, it just gets to me a little bit. And then the third I one. I had it. Yeah. And then the third one. Right. <laughs> my first fight uh, as a reporter. Well, at least the really? first, uh, first time covering a live fight. Yeah, it was that, that weigh-in. I arrived, and a buddy of mine picked me up at the airport, drove me to the press conference, and I arrived as the, the press conference was ending. And my, so my first interview was a walk and talk with uh, uh, Gary Shaw, and then, uh, uh, then Diego, and then Joe. Those are the first three like live interviews I did in boxing, like all like oh, wow. you know Gary Gary Shaw as a walk and talk through the uh, the the room, you know out of the out of the ballroom, and then uh, Diego standing outside. Uh, it was an interview I printed like years later, like years after his death, um, and then uh, Joe kind of over like walking down the hallway, like uh, yeah, like yeah, it was like my first. I was like like my first uh, event was a controversy the next day at the weigh-in when when he didn't make weight, when Castillo failed to make weight. It was crazy. Were you still media then, Ernie, at that point? I'm sorry? Were you still media? You were just or purely media at that point, right? Or were you with Everlast? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was still with Max Blast. I didn't get to Everlast until 2008. Huh. So, yeah, I was still, I was still media. 
Uh, so I think at that time I was still working solely for Max Boxing. So, you know, I was doing, at the time, I was, you know, behind Peter Palmieri and and one other wow. uh, and one other uh, videographer. So I was literally the third videographer at the wow. time. So I, was getting, <laughs> I, was, I was getting auxiliary section. I was getting media-only rooms and, and you know, but you know, it's like with anything, you kind of work your way through. And, and I remember my first actual floor seat assignment was um, Barrera Marquez. And I was like flabbergasted. I was just sitting there going, oh, my God, I'm literally this close to, to the action. You know, but, yeah, I've, I've, I remember those, those fights uh, vividly. Um, you know, I started covering the sport, you know, right around that time as, as you as well. I mean, because even for the rematch, I didn't uh, – I wasn't covering. I went as a, as a fan. I you know, really great seat. Um, but, um, yeah, Diego is uh, something else. Yeah. Let me ask you guys, let me ask you guys this. What, what fighter or promoter was the toughest to speak to or interview for you guys? Because uh, I can tell Ortiz. you mine. Victor Ortiz, Victor really? Ortiz. He's, he's just, he, he's goofy. You know, <laughs> it, 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 he's, 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 I mean, I, 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 Victor, I, you know, I have no problems with Victor personally, but he's a fucking idiot. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you try to interview him? And, and I have. I've done I, an interview, so, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Real good. I, I, I remember one time that we were doing this open workout at Maywood, and I uh-huh. interviewed him for about 45 seconds, and he just kept getting, giving these, you know, childlike answers. You know, you just got to see, bro. Well, I can't tell you that, bro. I'm not going to know until I know. And I just went like, yep. all right, I'm done. Fuck this. And Monica looked at me. She was, she was doing PR at the time. She goes, what? I said, get this motherfucker to answer something, man. And she's like, gosh, you know how this is. And I said, well, then that's my interview with him. And that's it. And she goes, okay. So, <laughs> it's always been, for me, it's always been Victor Ortiz. It, it, you know, he's just, he's too wacky for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Victor Ortiz. Was yours? Too what, wacky what, for what me. Was yours? Frankie Gomez. Frankie Gomez was he's great, dude. He's the he's the I think he's the king of he's the, just the king of just not in his head. When you ask him a question, just not his head. How's camp? Good. Hey, you know, did you spark? Yes. Alright, so so are we gonna see a knockout on on Friday? Yes. Alright, thanks, Frank. Thank you. You're not good. I would do interviews uh, as a favor to, you know, nothing against a guy, you know, we, he was always polite and everything. Um, But, you know, Monica, like, can you, you know, interview him and, and like, you know, it's like, like practice runs, like get him comfortable with it, you know, and I tried, you know, I mean, you know, it's like flossing teeth, you know, it's, and then pulling them. Uh, It's just, well, shit, at least you guys lived in LA. At least you guys live. I mean, he got when he signed with Golden Boy. Monica Sears asked me to come down and interview him. Dude, I drove what six, seven hours to East LA. You remember when they did that? They had uh, right. Yeah. And, and I was pulling teeth with the guy. I mean, I had to literally go off everything Oscar had announced. Kind of fill it in with the kid every time he answered with one word. I just fill in the rest of the of the question I asked. I had to answer with him with the rest of what Oscar had said. That, that was tough.
interview with Ernesto Gabion was great. It was the introduction to the boxing buzz, which is a segment that we plan to bring, I don't know, maybe once every two months. Uh, is bring a writer on or somebody that's part of the industry. And then you just hear guys just kind of shoot the shit about the, uh, about the sport. Give you some inside stories that really you don't hear about. You're not going to read on, on articles. So I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Um, so up next was May 17th. And we knew that we still had it. There was a lot of questions still out there about Canelo, about Triple G, what was next, what was going to happen, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So no better person to get on but then uh, Gennady Golovkin's promoter manager, Tom Laufer. So we got Tom Laufer on, but Gabriel had secured an interview with uh, legendary Hall of Famer trainer Joe Goosen. So he got to come on, and he had some great stuff to bring to the table on leaving the ring. Check it out. Um, no, I, how important was it you to keep that date of May fifth? Just you know, in terms of of Gennady's timeline of training, but also that built-in you know date that everybody. Well, you know, Gennady made it clear he wanted to fight May five. You know, a lot of people who are you know familiar with boxing is once you start a training camp, then you stop, then you start again. It really messes up your whole rhythm, and uh, you know he didn't want to stop. You know, a lot of people saying, "Why don't you push it back to June or July?" And then uh, you know, then you have a full-blown promotion. But then, you know, he definitely wants to fight again in September. And you know, you never know what's going to happen in the sport of boxing. A lot of people were even uh, recommending against taking any risks. Uh, what if he breaks his hand? What if he gets cut? What if he, you know, what if he looks bad? You know, uh, then then it could affect the negotiations for a future fight. And uh, Gennady, you know, didn't he? He wanted to stay active. Uh, you know, he's if he's fighting on his schedule, he'll fight three or four times a year. You know, when it gets into mandatories like we had with Danny Jacobs, or when it gets into, you know, lengthier negotiations like we had with Tello, that's when he, you know, kind of hit 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 the skids, and and he's he's down to two fights a year. But uh, you know, he, that's why he didn't want to postpone this any longer than than May five, and he really gave me. Um, the instruction, you know, at all costs. You know, we took a major pay cut from HBO. What is, what is next for you? We've got uh, you put in a petition, and, and uh, Ludabella, I believe, put in a petition uh, regarding the mandatory Derevchenko and the IBF. Uh, but you've got that September date, and and also, what are your thoughts on Canelo? You know, uh, making good on his word or Oscar's word about you know, give or take a week uh, of getting into a testing program with Vada. That that's year round. Uh, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the CBP. It sounds like it's going to be a little more intense, uh, this 365 program. Uh, what are your thoughts there and, and uh, with Triple G? Well, definitely I think that's, the, uh, you know, he's stepped in the right direction. You know, uh, with Canelo, uh, you know, when, when there are, you know, questions or positive tests, whatever it was, you know, you, you would think that uh, he would do whatever he could to, to clear his name. And, you know, this is definitely a step in the, in the right direction. Uh, you know, Abel's told me that, uh you know, that would be uh, a cornerstone in the negotiation is that, uh, you know, Gennady has never failed a test and, and Abel's always, you know, has insisted on, on these uh, tests just because of his punching power, just so there wouldn't be any questions. So uh, Gennady tested all the way through to the, to the May 5 fight, and now uh, we're in the process of enrolling him again, um, you know, to, to continue testing uh, through to his next fight. So there's there's no questions of, of uh, you know, Gabe, I know you're familiar with uh, – that was, you know, when people are off for a long time, or you know, that uh, you know the, the uh, questions off can peak. be, what do they do before 
the testing actually starts. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, you know, Gennady and Abel both uh, strongly believe in a level playing field and a, a clean sport um, for boxing. And, and uh, uh, you know, that's the next step. But uh, definitely uh, that's one less hurdle to address um, in the discussions with yeah. uh, Golden Boy uh, as the testing. So uh, we were, um, we, we definitely uh, welcomed that news, you know, when there was, you know, some uh, quotes out there that uh, Canelo wouldn't start testing until the contract was signed, you know, then that was a little bit uh, disappointing, but we're glad that he's enrolled. And, and so, you know, there shouldn't be any distractions. You know, if you're promoting a fight, should be promoting uh, the two guys fighting each other, not over accusations or, you know, question marks forming around the training or, you know, any unfair advantages. And I think that takes, you know, that element out of the whole uh, the whole situation for this next negotiation. Tom, what do you what do you think of when fans are saying that you guys don't need Canelo anymore? Um, you have B.J. Saunders. You can go off and and and, and fight them. Do you guys feel do you still need Canelo? I mean, is that a fight that you guys are very much more interested in and it's up in the upfront of your guys' agenda at this moment? You know what, honestly, I think uh both guys need each other. Um the success of the first promotion was uh, certainly the highest grossing event. Um uh that uh you know, at least uh, financially, uh, both guys made their biggest paydays fighting each other. We set the record for the third highest uh, gate in boxing history. Um, you know, we did well on the, on the pay-per-view, and I think with everything that's gone on, all the controversy now <laughs> that's gone on with this rematch, um, you know, I think Gennady was frustrated with the situation with Canelo, and, and he voiced, uh, you know, he, he was pretty outspoken at one point, and, uh, and Canelo, I think he took offense to that, and, and he fired back on social media, so you know, whatever happened in the first fight, the first promotion, uh, you know, I would say if the rematch happens in September, the gloves are off. And, you know, these guys uh, had a mutual respect for each other because they trained together up at uh, the summit and they, they actually sparred together. But now I think this has become, you know, somewhat of a grudge match where I think Canelo has to prove, uh, you know, whatever happened in the first fight wasn't a fluke for him, especially now with this extended uh, testing period. And, and uh, Gennady wants to prove that he's still the best uh, middleweight uh, champion in the world, if not, you know, one of the best fighters in the sport, in boxing on a pound for pound level. So uh, both guys have a lot to prove. Um, you know, we thought that uh, Gennady won the first fight. You know, we agreed with HBO with Harold Letterman, you know, eight rounds to four. You know, some some fighter, some people had it closer than that. But, uh, you know, I really don't see, you know, having uh, Canelo uh, winning the fight. But, you know, that's the whole, there was a lot of controversy of the scoring. And, and I think Gennady, uh knows he can do better in the second fight, and, and I'm sure Canelo thinks, you know, he can do better going 12 rounds with Triple G. So isn't, uh, right. isn't it so that's, definitely, that's definitely a fight that he still is, his eyes are on. Like, he wants that fight regardless of anything else. He would like the fight for sure. Uh, again, I think it's uh, definitely the biggest fight in the sport of boxing, and it's the biggest fight for, for both guys. So it makes sense. You know, you, you have some fights, you know, like when you had the rematch with Warden Kovalev, it just seemed like that lost a lot of momentum uh, going into the rematch. And this, you know, if the rematch happens, it, it just seems like the momentum is taking off. It was a very successful uh, mm-hmm. promotion, uh, you know, the first time around. And I think the rematch is going to be even more successful. You know, with that being said, you know, certainly there's there's uh, other options out there for, for Gennady. And, you know, 
getting Billy Joe Saunders there to, to unify all the titles. Uh, you know, we've tried that over the last couple of years, and for one reason or another, it hasn't uh, hasn't materialized. Um, you know, there's been some big financial demands on his side to get in the ring with Triple G, but um, you know, and then there's other there's certainly other options uh, out there uh, as well, but none as big as uh, as the as the rematch with. Uh, with Canelo. So I think that's the first the, priority. The, the fight with the Japanese middleweight wouldn't be as big, you don't think? Oh, Murata is a great fighter. Uh, you got to take his, your head off to him. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Honda is doing the right thing over there. He's selling out the, the large arenas. He's, he's getting monster ratings on, on uh, Japanese uh, television over there. Uh, and I think that's a great fight for Triple G as well to go to uh, Tokyo. The great thing about Gennady, he doesn't care where, where he fights. In fact, when we made the first fight, you know, he does. He said, "Oh, sorry, where the fight is, just get Canelo in the ring, and uh, and um, you know, and he'll be happy." And and that's what that's what we wound up doing. You know, I, nobody expected. Uh, you know, there were some pretty peculiar scores. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the first fight, first fight, but um, uh, you know, Gennady has no problem ring. going. To, to, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he's happy. But, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean that was that was disappointing. I mean that that kind of cast a shadow over the whole yeah. promotion, which I thought went well. Uh, you know, whenever you have a co-promotion, you know, Gennady has you know the titles. Canelo had the more proven track record on pay-per-view, so you know both guys brought a lot of value with them to the ring, and I, I think their fan bases really complemented each other. Uh, Canelo has a proven fan base, and, and Gennady has a fan base that flies in from all all parts of the world, whether it's Australia, whether it's Kazakhstan, whether it's Europe. You know, they fly in from the East Coast where he's, you know, sold out the Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, a few times. It's just, uh, uh, you know, he's got a big international fan base, as does Canelo. So I think they just complement each other. But, you know, going back to Murata, I think that's a that's a huge fight. And, and Gennady says, you know, it's not like, you know, some champions only fight in one city. You know, there's a lot of fighters that come to mind who would only fight in, in Las Vegas. And if you want to fight them, you have to go to Las Vegas. And there's not, yeah. certainly nothing against Las Vegas, but... You know, Gennady's a world champion, and, and he wants to bring back, or he has brought back, the definition of a world champion. When we went to China, you know, for a convention, you know, there was a lot of fans out there, you know, lined up. Uh, it kind of surprised me that uh, they were lined up. They recognized him because all his fights are shown on CCTV in China. And, you know, when we went to Mexico and Azteca Stadium, and there were you know, 90,000 people there, and they were all applauding for Triple G wow. being on the center of the field. I mean, it's just... That's one of the rare things that Triple G does is that, uh, you know, he's just kind of like that international man, <laughs> man of mystery war fighting in Monte Carlo or at the O2 Arena and we fought Cal Brook and uh, that sold out in 11 minutes, you know. So going to, yeah. to the Tokyo Dome and fighting Murata certainly would be a, a huge, a huge opportunity as well. I'm curious, you know, he's been in the clean boxing program uh, for quite a while now, I think over a year, right? And uh, how many times do they test him in between fights, like when he's doing all the traveling? Because he's got to turn in his whereabouts for him and let everybody know where he's going to be. Yeah, we definitely have to uh, make uh, them aware of uh, where where he's going to be. You know, with Gennady's uh, travel schedule, it's it's not easy sometimes. But uh, you know, typically with the with the VADA testing, that's much more uh, consistent. You know, um, and then uh, you know of of the testing, but. Uh, you know, as long as we give them uh, uh, an indication of where he's going to be, then you know, usually, uh, you know, there's no there's no issues with his uh, with his travel schedule. You know, sometimes he'll get called on short notice for an appearance. You know, he went uh, he made an appearance in Sochi uh, to support uh, 
who was actually the uh, official ambassador for that event when uh, Garcia fought Dordicos. Um, another great fight, another uh, you know candidate for fight of the year this year. And, and so uh, that was short notice, and we went over there, and he was there for like three, four days. And you can imagine, you know, whether it's Russia or Kazakhstan, or you know, he gets a huge, uh, huge uh, reaction over there as well with the media and the fans. So um, I think Bernardo is a great ambassador for the sport of boxing. He brings excitement in the ring. And he has a great character outside the ring. And, uh, you know, he's very humble, very respectful um, of, you know, the sport of his opponents. And yeah. um, I, I think he's, he's, really an he's brought a lot of new fans. Yeah, yeah this is Amin Khan. And leaveitinthering.com. And, you know, it was like, look, you got to remember, I took over Corrales after we beat him with Casamayor. I mean, I was taking the, the guy with the, that was considered the damaged goods. You know, he had been beaten by Mayweather. Right. He got by Casamayor. And and so, you know, I didn't look like it as a reclamation project. I just looked at it as, man, I get to train Diego Corrales? Yeah, of course. Yeah, how I just lost Casamayor. Huh? How, how, how was that conversation? How did that come about when Diego Corrales came around and, you know, he just lost to Floyd, um, you know, there was everything that was just like, okay, like you said, he was damaged goods. There's no more. This guy um, didn't live up to the hype is what most folks were saying at the time. How did the, how did the conversation with him happen? Like, what what did you guys say to each well, other to say, hey, let's do it? Well, the, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you how it went down. But, you know, the bottom line was is that, I, you know, I had Casemiro who had just beaten him. And they ordered an immediate rematch. And, um so I remember there that. was a yeah. little yeah. So there was a there was a little bit of a business problem. Casamayor goes and trains with Buddy McGurk. Okay, so I'm back in Van Nuys, and I, I you know I don't have my my fighter I had for like six years prior to that, and so one of my assistants. Um, he was a little pissy about it. And he said, well, you know, Diego had fired his trainer after the fight. I'm going to call him and let him know you're available. And I said, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, he did it anyway. And Diego hung up on him and said, you know, screw you. He thought it was a mind game you know, when we were playing, right? He didn't know anything about Casemiro not being in my gym anymore. It just happened like that day. Nobody knew, right? And so Diego told my, my assistant to, you know, take a fly and hike. And he hung up on him. And he called him right back. He said, no, man, I, I, I'm not joking around. Today. He hung up on him again. So he, he called him one more time. He begged him, please, just listen out what I got to say. And he, and he said Diego was very hesitant about the whole thing. And then he finally relented and gave him James Prince's number. And... Uh, they uh, they got me James's number and he said yeah he wanted to talk to me that was that was Chico's manager and so I called Jay Prince and he went you know hell yeah <laughs> yeah he 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 knew what the benefit would be of having me with all my knowledge about Joel in Diego's corner in the immediate rematch, you know, so neither of them were having another fight. They were just going right back in to fight each other again. And he thought it was, a, you know, as the English would say, he thought it was a brilliant idea. So, uh, yeah. So that's how I ended up with Diego. Now, 
Diego's first time of he and I seeing each other since like the press conferences and the fights where they had previous months before had. I hadn't seen him since any of these conversations or anything. In fact, I never talked to him over the phone. I only talked to Jay Prince. Oh, wow. So when Diego moved into an apartment and his first day in my gym, he came, you know, he came, I want to say with that Diego stroll he had and, uh, and we met in the locker room. And, um, so, uh, of course, it, yeah, yeah, it was a little dicey for just about 10 seconds, you know, <laughs> just because, I mean, he's looking at the guy that was like, you know, across the ring from him just a couple months earlier, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. But I, I will tell you one last thing about it <clears throat> that I think kind of broke the ice. You know, because I could tell he was a little, you know, once you got to know Diego, like in a minute, he could be your best friend, and he was an unbelievable guy. He was really unique. But um, at this particular moment, he's, you know, in fighter mode. And so when he came into the gym, you know, you don't just walk into a gym like, hey, everybody, you know, you walk in like you're somebody, you know, and he was somebody. So the first thing I said to him, because I could tell the look on his face, I said, hey, Diego, I said, how you doing? I said, man, I got to tell you something. I said, I have never been more motivated, more frightened by an opponent in decades, maybe the most ever in my career than you facing you. That's how, how hard I worked and Joel worked. And I will tell you this. I said, I said, you were, you were the most feared guy I've ever faced. And I told him, I said, I got to tell you something. A lot of the things I thought you were going to do, you didn't do. And, wow. um, yeah, and I said. And what did he say about good, that? Well, he just he was listening. And I said, here's uh-huh. the good thing, though. Everything you didn't do that I was scared to death of that you didn't do, I'm going to show you how to do it and use it this time. And you'll win this fight. And that was that. And it was over. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Do you go back and, and, and watch those fights? No. 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 Is it just too? Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't. I don't because I, I have to tell you something. I I um I really remember them. If there's one thing in my I don't remember much, but I do remember almost everything about boxing for some strange reason. God, that was such a good interview with uh, Joe Goosen. And the response from you guys was was just phenomenal. Uh, everybody loved Joe, uh, what he had to say. And definitely is a guest that we're going to bring back on to uh, leave in the ring. To keep it going, our last interview that we end up doing to kind of sum up the uh, Corner to Corner show here uh, is going to be with manager matchmaker Sean Gibbons. Sean Gibbons is by far one of the, I would have to say, energetic character in boxing um he's a guy you you know is going to be in the room if you don't know who sean gibbon is you might want to do some research because he is quite a character and guess what he was able to show that character of his on our interview on leaving the ring which happened on may 24th 
So check out what Sean Gibbon had to say about some of his fighters that he's working with now and about what he had to say with Orlando Salido, who is the only guy to beat Vasily Lomachenko. So check this out on Leaving the Ring. Sean, let me ask you this. Do you enjoy trolling Lomachenko, reminding him on Twitter that your guy beat him, was the first guy to beat him. Because, uh, you know, I see the enjoyment, you know, and I can just see your happy fingers when you when you mention to somebody, yeah, but guess who, whose guy did it first? <laughs> yep, because you, know, you know what? Orlando had the blueprint, absolutely. And if someone would just figure out, you don't box with Lomachenko. You get in his right. ass. You get on his chest. You push him back. He's a southpaw. First of all, they can't fight backing up. Orlando showed it because people – it makes me sick, a low blow, or this, or that. He wait. He said, come on, stop already making excuses for the guy. The only thing I'm sick about is that rematch never happened, and it's not our fault again. Lomachenko got money hungry. He was a guy that came here at first, and it wasn't about the money. Well, then you should have paid Toledo the money he wanted. You should have took a little less, and you would have got your shot back at him. But they want to treat us like some dirt Mexicans that we don't deserve to get paid properly. Last time I checked, uh, champ, we won the fight. You can say however right. we did it, whatever we did it. And what people don't realize, they go, well, he was overweight. Orlando killed himself. He got down to 28. Killed himself. You don't think he was more affected? Why, almost in the 10th, 11th, and 12th round, he almost got knocked out. Because I've never, yeah. I've never understood people that say that. That when a guy's yeah, body bullshit. locks up, you know, that's an advantage. Yeah. It's not an advantage. His body locked up. Dude, he told me, he, he, he got down to 28, and he said, I can't do it. No more, or I'm not fighting. I called their manager, they laughed. <laughs> he could weigh 150, whatever. All right, no problem. He did. <laughs> so thank you. They were so arrogant and disrespectful towards Orlando, who Orlando on his best night could beat anybody, and he had a few bad nights. I mean, even the Mikey Garcia, he came out at some of his worst moments, but by the ninth round, who was in Mikey's butt? Orlando, who quit claiming my nose is broken? Mikey Garcia. He was fixing the feel, you know, round whatever it was, 9, 10, 11, and 12. He was fixing the feel when a real Mexican keeps coming. So, you know, I, I feel marvel at, at how Orlando was able to do it for so long, for, you know, for so many years at the highest levels. And he had, you know, a couple bad ones. He had tremendous nights. But with Lomachenko, it always haunted me that we weren't able to put it together because I would have loved to see people Again, show Orlando kick his ass the same way he did the first time because he knows how to fight and he knew how to fight Lomachenko. And that was it. So, I mean, he so did it for the rest, uh, of, his life, my, for the rest right. of his life, baby. He'll always have that one and he'll always remember who it was Orlando Salido. <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget, on the same day we had Sean Gibbons, we had Ring TV reporter Ryan Segolia to come on the show to discuss uh, Manny Pacquiao. And let me tell you, he had some interesting things to say about Manny Pacquiao, who he's been following the career and covering Manny for quite some time. So take a listen. Let me, let me ask you about Manny Pacquiao. You know, when, you, when you're looking in the Internet world and you start reading certain articles or, or even fans – Everybody keeps saying that he's not the same Manny, that there's really not much left. Ryan, what do you think? I, I don't tend to, to buy that. I, I still think there's still a lot of Manny. Like, even when he fought Horn, I saw Manny dig 
deep that that most aging fighters wouldn't do. Most aging fighters would have kind of given up already. You know, a head clash, uh, a mauling style, you know, it was all over him. But he fought it out. What do, what do you see yeah, about you know Manny what? still? Like, the thing with, that's the thing with Manny. Manny will fight, you know, because Manny has such an ego, like, about being a great fighter that, you know, he doesn't want to be embarrassed. You know what I mean? He'll never go out there and give less than his best. Um, he'll go out there because like, he has this reputation. Like, in a weird way, he's almost like a smarter Arturo Gatti in that, like, he, you know, he'll sell out to go out there and, and, and try to win a fight. And um, and he's never been beaten up. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing about him. Like, he's never had the fight beaten out of him. He's been outboxed, like, by Mayweather. You know, like, that was a, such a uh, a, a tough uh, style for, for Manny. And, and, you know, he was winning the fight against Marquez when he walked into that shot. And, you know, nobody I, – I, I know very few people who actually think that Bradley or Horn beat Pacquiao. But – um. Manny will fight. And the thing is that, that I like about what Manny does is that even though you – know, well, let me just clear the air. I believe he should retire um, just because it's better to walk away one fight too soon rather than one fight too late. Like, could you imagine, like, um, you know, there's, like, a, a movie and there's a car chase and, like, there's all this action. They shoot it out and the good guy wins and, and he walks off. And instead of, you know, the credits rolling – you're like, you know, okay, well, the cameras follow him. Now he's going to go to the store and go pick up some Pop-Tarts and, uh, you know, fill up his gas in his car. And everyone's like, wait, wait, why isn't the movie over? You know what I mean? Like, right. the, the storyline <laughs> towards Pacquiao, that's what I, how I look at Pacquiao's career. It's like, it's almost like, um, like you know, a show, like a TV show that, you know, you know like, like The Office should have, like, they didn't really need the, the last two seasons. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like, it's kind of like that, like, where it's like, all right, uh, I want to remember the show when it was really funny, you know what I mean, instead of when, like, you yeah, know, all these new characters it's really, come on. It's really rare to see a Seinfeld finale, you know, where Seinfeld, Jerry mm-hmm. Seinfeld knew, okay, we're done. Uh, um, let's yeah. go out on a high note, and, and we'll leave. And this, is, but, yeah, this is like but a Manny you know Pacquiao, Boo Boy side adventure, is what you're calling it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like a spinoff. It's like we're, we're, we're watching uh, Johnny Loves Chachi now of, uh, of Manny Pacquiao's career. Wow. And, um, you know. It, 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 it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, like uh, that's, that's, you know, I, I just I, I, I think that the Matisse fight will be exciting. I think it's, it's a great style matchup. You know, uh, there's, there's that danger. And I like the idea of putting fights in Malaysia and other countries where they don't typically have boxing. You know, that's kind of it's almost Muhammad Ali-esque, the way that Muhammad Ali brought boxing to all these countries. Um, but I just, you know, I just I don't see the point, you know what I mean, personally, like, like, you know, Pacquiao's story arc, you know, was always leading towards Mayweather. You know what I mean? And right, right. when he got his fight, like, uh, for me, I had the closure. I said, all right. I thought for so long that Pacquiao, you know, should have that fight with Mayweather, win or lose, and then just walk off. And I thought, you know, it would be great to have that fight, you know, enjoy life a bit, whatever the situation is, and then maybe have, like, one going away fight in the Philippines. Let him just, you know – beat up some tough guy, you know, in Manila, you know, in front of like 50,000 people and then just walk off. But, um, you know, I, that's not what happened. Um, but um, I, 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 <laughs> I definitely agree with you. I'll tell you one thing that makes Pacquiao, um, why, he, why I think he can still fight is because he's not a guy who like, like Manny Pacquiao doesn't watch boxing. 
Like, I don't get the feeling that, like, like, he's not really, like, a boxing fan, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't train between fights, he doesn't spar, he's not in the gym all the time. The way he stays in shape is he plays basketball, like, you know, sometimes, like, you know, middle of the night, like, 12 a.m., like, 2, p. 2 a.m., 3 a.m. kind of stuff. But um, that's, you know, so he's always in, in cardiovascular shape, but he doesn't put, like, you know, he's not a guy who's going to, like, you know, oh, I'm going to go out to the fights. I heard there's fights over here. Like, I, I, I was, like, Manny Pacquiao was five minutes away from when Jerwin and Carhouse fought McJoe Arroyo, and he was the promoter, and he just he didn't go to the fight because he's just not a guy who likes boxing. Right? I, I remember one time he was co-promoter for a show at Solaire Resort in Manila, and um, he was in the hotel. Uh, who knows? You know, like, uh, he was somewhere in the hotel, and, uh, and he never even walked downstairs to go see the fights because you know, he's not a guy. He's a guy who stays, keeps a distance from the sport. So when he does immerse himself back into it, it's almost like it's brand new, and he has enthusiasm for it. And he's a goal. I right. like, you know, he he gets he gets excited to do it again. You know, instead of a guy who's like burnt out, you know, because he's you know his life is the gym. You know. Hmm. I think I think Lucas is is style wise is perfect for Manny. You know, I think mm-hmm. if. If this is going to be his last hooray, this should be it. If he knocks out Lucas Matisse, because I think it's it's there for it for the taking. Lucas is I. Yeah. Um, Lucas is not a very technically technically sound boxer. Um, he makes a lot of mistakes that Manny can capitalize on. And I, I, I'm with you on it. I think that if this if he fights and that's it, I think that this should be his swan song. That's it. No more. Retire. You know what's like. A- it's kind of unfortunate because, like, now he's fighting for, like, the WBA regular belt, you know? Like, it's not, right. not even, like, a real belt, you know what I mean? So it's like uh, – and, you know, which actually, to me, I was surprised because I, I of all the years that we've known Lucas Matisse, like, that was the only real – that was all, the closest thing he ever got to a title, you know? Like, he, he never was actually, like, the champion, you know? So, uh, right. so this is the belt that he has now, and it's like um, – it's kind of like beneath Pacquiao, I think, to fight for this, you know, kind of belt um, – you know, and dignify the WBA's uh, greed and corruption like that. But, um, you know, I, I do think from a style match, and also, you know, Matisse is, you know, he's passed it himself. Like, he didn't look that great in his last fight, you know, and he exactly. fought him. And, yeah. you know, he just he got knocked out not too long ago by Postal. And, you know, he's had a lot of tough fights, and, you know, he's 35 years old, so he's not a spring chicken either. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. And, like I said, there's one thing we haven't seen from Manny's is a quit in him where Lucas we've seen it we've seen him kind of quit you know Victor Postal he, he is a prime example his eye you know couldn't get back up he was done I think when a guy has an injury like that especially to something like an, like an eye you know it yep. changes them you know like mentally you're like you know what I need to be able to see for the next 30 years or so that I'm alive uh, that kind of um like it, it makes them realize that they're not invincible and, you know, Hey, I need to start taking care of my life. So I, I definitely think that Matisse is a guy that like, like Freddie Roach had a great uh, quote before the third uh, Eric Morales fight with Pacquiao. He said, once you break a rock, it may be hard to break it, but you know, once it's broken, you can't really put it back together the same way. You know what I mean? So mm, I think that's the situation with Lucas Matisse. And uh, I'm just, um, I've heard that I mean, in a nursery rhyme sure. too, the Humpty Dumpty. 
you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> right? it's kind of like it's a bit like Hum- although although I would say uh, Matisse is a little bit harder to crack than uh, than was uh, Humpty Dumpty. But look at this. Right, how many yeah. how many years have we been like saying that this guy is you know supposed to be like this dangerous guy? He's a he's an excellent fighter. Was, very entertaining. But I like you know, you remember Zab Judah? He fought Zab Judah, and it was like um, I, I I thought he was going to crush Zab Judah, and I Zab Judah really won that fight. You know what I mean? Like he really yeah. did, and. You know, like, uh, and even like Danny Garcia, we all said he was going to crush him. You know, and then, no, I didn't. You know, uh, I, I, yeah, we both I picked Danny Garcia. Yeah, I picked Danny. Yeah. I was never a machine guy. Steve uh, was always a, a big, uh, you know, he gave him the nickname, the machine. Uh, I, I yeah. always just was like, show me. And, and uh, he didn't. You know, I picked, no, I picked mm-hmm. Garcia against him. And, but every, most everybody did. Uh, they thought he yeah. was going to crush Danny. But that was, I, I think people pick with their hate for Al Heyman sometimes. <laughs> a little bit, like you know, like you know, Danny Garcia, you know, he 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 he's a very underappreciated in, in in certain ways. Like like a lot of times people count him out. You know what I mean? Like uh, so I I agree with you. Even like me, I, I picked I picked him to beat um Keith Thurman because I picked so against uh um against Danny Garcia so many times that I was like, you know what, I'm not gonna pick against him again. But uh, <laughs> you know, he's just one. You know, he's like one of those guys that uh, you know, it's hard to appreciate. You know, some of the things he does because he has that reputation with the cherry picking and everything like that. But you know what? At the end of the day, he's he's, he's a good fighter, man, and you know. He's, he's never really like you know yeah maybe he lost the Herrera fight you know he should have lost that fight but then you know the Thurman fight he was right there so I mean you know I don't know if about 147 but but um you know just get back you know about Matisse it's like really Matisse is a guy that you know he has uh, the reputation he has compared to what he's actually accomplished makes it and and, and the danger that he may present actually makes this a pretty good fight for Manny Pacquiao to take at this stage in his career yeah agreed yeah it does mm-hmm yeah, no, it's a perfect fight for him. This is Tim Bradley, and you're Living in the Ring.com. Well, Living in the Ring fans, we're up to the end of our corner to corner here. I'm, I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast here. Like I said, it's just basically us recapping, recovering uh, interviews that we did in the last two months or so. Again, I want to thank everybody that t- tunes in every uh, now. It's going to be mo- now. It's going to be Monday night at six p.m. But I want to thank everybody that tunes in, everybody that contributes to our Patreon. We're still going to try to continue to put more content on the network. And like I said, we're we're looking for other contributors as well. Um, again, I'm your host, Dave Duenas, with my co-host, Mr. Gable Montoya. Tune in every Monday. Don't forget to donate with the um, uh, Patreon. Don't forget to tweet us. Don't forget to call in 347-215-7598. Anyways, again, guys, talk to you guys really soon on Leaving the Ring.
Dave, uh, did you want to go into the mandatory? I imagine let's, you wanted to let's ask go about into that. the mandatory. Yeah, I definitely. I think that's where everybody's tuning in is to hear your thoughts, Lou, about the decision of of Gennady Golovkin moving forward with Von's Moderation instead of your guy. I mean, like, I can't really fault him for that decision. You know what I mean? Like, right. like you, you, you're, you're, you're about to make a shitload of money to fight a guy you beat once and that you're really jacked up to beat again, and then that guy blows a drug test, and everyone starts declaring him, you know, he's cleared before there's ever a hearing, and then the guy ultimately gets suspended, and you go from uh, a multi-multi-million dollar night to a night that's going to be, you know, uh, probably one of the lower purses he's made in, in recent years. And, you know, in that circumstance, do you want to fight my guy who's probably the toughest, you know, as tough a guy as you can fight out there right now um, without, without a giant reward? So, you know, I understand why he wants to get basically in, in what he views as as almost like a glorified exhibition, um, you know he has a huge money fight after this this uh, this dude gets off his suspension. Right. Um, I mean, and, it's a smart business move, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, I agreed with. I didn't. I mean, look, I, I'm well, with everybody. You just can't have it both ways. Here's the thing. There's nothing. Can't. I'm not faulting them for for doing that, but at the same time. Right. Um, you can't have it both ways. So if you don't want to take the risk and you don't want to fight my guy, my guy's got to earn a living. He's earned the right to be where he is. And you can't ask someone to step aside. See, it, people are getting confused. The, the, uh, the issue on stepping aside for Vanis, that's not the issue. Like, we don't care. I mean, we have enough respect for Golovkin. He didn't cause this situation. I mean, right. like, I don't love the fight. I don't really give a shit about the fight, and I probably won't even watch it if I have something better to do. But but that being said, I mean, I, like, he didn't do anything wrong. It's the other guy that did something yeah. wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. So I don't have any, you know. So if he wanted to walk into the ring as as champion and then, you know, start negotiations that Monday to fight Derevyanchenko next, then there'd be no issue. But if he wants to basically make my guy wait another six months when because the guy broke the rules and tested positive no like that you know you can't have it both ways if you're going to go for the money then that belt goes away and that's just the conscious decision you have to make so as, yeah. as it stands you know they won't the ibf has decided that they won't strip him for this fight but that no i don't, I don't think I, I don't think that they've sent in the paperwork yet for an exception I imagine they're going to uh, but but the point I'm making is like it's really never been about like like I mean we're not sitting there running around with legal documents trying to make sure he can't fight on May 5th it's not about right. that it's what happens the next day I mean and, and basically why does he need the belt on May 5th if he's going to not fight if he's going to give it up afterward anyway but but if he wants to walk into the ring with the belt on May 5th uh, no one that's not the issue. The issue is what happens next. And if he's not fighting Sergey next, then then you know Sergey wants the the title vacated so he can get into the mix and fight a, a fight that's going to earn him money. He's got a wife and two kids, and he's earned the opportunity. He's a deserving mandatory. How unusual! 
This is why mandatories are, are, are created. So guys like him can force the issue and make a living. Right. Well, I think you said it a long time ago. Uh, the, the phrase has been truncated and kind of co-opted, but I think you said on this show, the belts matter until they don't. Right. Uh, and they do. You know, uh, do you think this situation, because anti-doping is so new on the landscape, you know, kind of going back to what 2000, but really becoming more pervasive since 2010 uh, with Floyd Mayweather doing USADA testing. Do you think it's time that the sanctioning bodies take a look at this kind of exception? I mean, I, I don't even, I gotta be honest with you. I don't even know that the sanctioning body should be in the middle of the testing. I mean, if you want to know the truth, part of the problem right now is like, I mean, guys, I mean, look, I love the WBC and Mauricio for taking the initiative at the same time, no matter how much they like a guy or believe in a guy, you have to like, you know, sort of maintain adherence to your own sort of standards. And, and like right now, part, like, you know, most of these organizations, one of the things I've always admired about the IBF, and look, it was created, frankly, out of an era where there was trouble and the IBF, you know, went into receivership and, 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 and really had to, to go move toward adhering to its own rules. But the IBF does adhere to its own rules, whereas you know, it, it seems that a lot, a lot of people sometimes make up their own rules or change them or adapt them. And, and you know, I, right, right now, look, the state of, I mean, the total testing is BS right now to begin with. The fighters themselves are the ones signing up for it. And then, you know, and, and doing, you know, really, and, and then also who's determining when it starts? I mean, you, you know that there's huge differences between, you know, starting four weeks before a fight and, and, and starting, you know, when a fight is first signed, and, and you know, just look at this case. You I know, mean, it was the first time he was tested in Mexico, and it apparently happened sooner than normal. You know, and and just looking at the USADA website, Broner has been tested tested eight times in the first two quarters of the year, but Vargas hasn't been tested at all. That's not well, a testing program. Well, I mean, you want to talk about not having a testing program? Um, Canelo, I mean, Canelo Alvarez was ordered the BC put Canelo, inserted Canelo into their mandatory position and dictated that there, there should be an immediate rematch. And, you know, the BC is the one that has the more evolved uh, program in terms of, you know, testing for performance-enhancing drugs and, and, and demanding that WBC fighters, in order to fight for the BC and get ranked, be part of their clean boxing program. And I don't know, until, I don't know if it changed in the last couple of weeks, but... I don't recall Canelo being part of that program. No, he's not. He's not. Well, how, how could that be? I mean, how can that be? Except this is boxing. <laughs> this is boxing. Right. But otherwise, how right. could that be? How could that be? Right. Uh, either the their explanation the was that because he's he, – well, I mean, I was just going to – their explanation for it was, well, because he's already in Bada testing. Which makes no sense, regardless. Um, he's he not part of the clean program. boxing program. Right. Period. I mean, I've, I have loads of emails requiring me to have all my guys, you know, sign up and be part of the clean boxing program. You know, and, and, and you know, I, he's not part of the clean boxing program. How's that? You know, it's just. Right. Yeah, it makes no sense. But it, it does make sense. I mean, this fight is, is hypocrisy heaven, you know. Uh, we've had people defend Triple G as a guy that doesn't care about money, uh, only cares about the fans, 
He should care about money. It's a frigging business, man. <laughs> like, what right. the fuck? I mean, like, look, yeah. the, most of these guys yeah. are going in there. And let me tell you something. If Triple G keeps taking punches, you know, with, with greater frequency like he has, you know, re- in, in recent fights, and he continues fighting well into his future, he, he's going to wind up paying a price too later. Because if you think that football is the only sport that has concussion issues, no one's paying attention. So, I mean, this is a business. This is a business. So Absolutely. he's making a business decision. But you know what? He has to respect other people's business decisions and rights also. So here's like what I would say. You know, if you're going to – if you, I would lay this on Triple G and Tom. If you said, okay, guys, Triple G wants to walk in the ring May 5th and he wants to do this fight, he wants to walk in with the, with the belt, you know uh, – if they say that's fine, if they say they're going to fight us next, then that's cool. And, you know, we'll start negotiations on May 7th. If we know that they're fighting on September 15th against Canelo, if that's what they're doing, they also know Canelo was suspended. He didn't hurt himself. He was suspended. So, like, then just say, okay, fine. We're, we, we, want, we want the exception for this fight, and we're going to vacate after this fight. I mean, you can't have it both ways. Right, right. Let me ask you this just to to wrap up with it because uh, I'd heard this thrown out. What was your recourse here? I mean, you you could, you know, petition the IBF, but could you have said, look, I'll throw up X amount of dollars, let's do a co-promotion? Or is the mandatory, you know, are you obligated to act a certain way and the lead promoter, you know, that has the the mandatory obligation, are they financially obligated a certain way? No, if if Tom had something to offer – you know, that was for a plan for Derevinchenko that involved the winners or, or involved certain – if he had a plan, we would have been able to, to listen to it. But the IBF doesn't allow step-aside money. So, like, the IBF is one of the few organizations that doesn't allow step-aside money generally. It's, not, in, it's right. not something that's permissible in the IBF. Now, that being said, you know, no one ever said, hey, do you want to fight on the undercard May 5th? No one ever offered that, even though, you know, no one ever – that never came no, I'm, up. I'm, I meant, I meant, you know, if you wanted it to be Triple G Derevchenko this May fifth, could you have made an offer and said, "I'll throw in a couple million into the pot," or, or that, you know, let's make it a co-promotion? Is that a, was that a viable option? I mean, I, I don't, no, it wasn't an option really because I don't think that under any circumstances, Tom and and Gennady and Abel were going to decide to fight Derevchenko on May fifth. I, I think. I mean, that, were there even a phone call? Do you lose? No, I mean, there was never a discussion. There was never an offer made for a fight. There, there was never an offer made for a fight. And, and it was. And look, I'll be. And if, look, this is one of the reasons why I'm not upset with Tom. And I'm not. I mean, there wasn't a lot of BS. You know, it was clear. It just like we don't want to fight. You know, right now. Yeah. In this situation, we don't want to fight Derevchenko. Uh, and you, you think it, You think what Chris Mannix is is throwing out there? Calling Triple G, uh, saying that Triple G is ducking your guy. You, do you think that's accurate, or like, because you said a little while, and I. Well, I mean, it, 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 is it accurate? It, 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 it's. I don't think it depends on. on look, people are writing things with 140 ca- characters. So, it, it, right. is it accurate? I mean, it's accurate on one hand, but it's it's, it's totally rational and explicable. 
I mean, I mean, yes, he's bucking the risk when he has a giant fight out there, and the mandatory is, is a motherfucker that he knows for years and years from when they were both amateurs, and 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 you know they you know believe me, Triple G knows fighters from 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 Eastern Europe, and Derevchenko is an amateur beast, and he's pretty much a beast as a pro. He's a I mean, tough out for any champion or anybody at the top echelon of middleweight. He's not a guy that when your purse goes down tenfold, you want to see across the ring from you. So, I mean, is he, he's ducking the situation, but do I blame him? No. Does it make him a bad guy? No. Does it make him less a champion? No. Do I, am I mad at him? No. Do I think it's irrational? No. Would I do the same thing if I was Tom? Yes, probably. But I'd also acknowledge that, you know, there are sacrifices with decisions. And one of them is not going to have every belt. Absolutely. Look, well, let's tr- jump over to uh, the big fight that everybody wants to talk about uh, with the biggest humans in the world. Uh, Deontay Wilder, your guy versus Anthony Joshua. Uh, what's the latest with that? What do you What do you know? I mean, there, there's no latest. I mean, it, there's Eddie threw out a, a, an offer that he made public before, you know, uh, contemporaneously with its receipt, and I don't really, I didn't really mm. take it much, much seriously as an offer. Um, I don't think Eddie threw it out with the intention that it was going to be accepted or, or as a real um, good faith, like here, like let's uh, let's try to get a, a deal done kind of offer. But um, I've, I've said the same thing consistently, and I, and I guess I don't want to – this like topic is starting to irritate me, and it's no fault of yours, but it's starting to irritate me because here's the reality. The fight will happen when everybody involved really wants to make it, and that includes Eddie and Team Joshua and – you know, when, when everyone really wants to make a deal, it's not going to be social media bantering that's going to make a deal. And it's not going to be someone buying out another. You know, it's not how this kind of deal is going to work. I mean, you know, uh, in the long run. And it's going to happen through a discussion of, okay, look, here's how we're going to handle A, B, C, D, and E, you know, revenue streams, and here's how we're going to cut a deal that's fair and reflects the – the value of both guys and and you sit there and you, you you do a deal that ultimately like neither one of you is thrilled with but you both feel like you made a fair deal that's how a deal gets done they they don't get they don't happen through social media warfare so like it'll happen when it's going to happen and it, and it's not going to be a mayweather pacquiao kind of weight because no one's that crazy with the heavyweights and with guys like this you know every fight is an adventure you know just ask uh you know, Joshua in, 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 in his last fight, and frankly, asked Deontay, too, who, you know, had, had to recover from being really badly hurt to knock out, um, uh, you know, Ortiz. Louis. Ortiz, yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, it, it, yeah, I mean, you sit there and you wait something out too long and you and you wind up killing it because something, some ex- you know, external thing comes in and, 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 oh, my God, all of a sudden this mega fight's not there any longer. So... I mean, this will happen, and it'll happen in due course. It'll just happen when everybody's really ready to sit down and get it done. Yeah, and I almost, I almost get the sense that when it, when it, you guys go silent on it, that's when it'll get announced, not when you're talking deal points and take it or leave it. When I heard take it or leave it, you know, that just says you don't want the fight right now. It just seems pretty clear. Yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, but like, like, look, I mean, this, I don't um, – I, I think that you don't even – I don't have to say anything. I mean, like, if, if you're just following and reading what's going on out there, it's almost self-evident, you know. Um, and, you know, that being said, I, I, I don't think 
I think the fight will build for a little bit while longer, and then there'll be enough money there to satisfy Joshua and, and everybody else there um, that it makes sense. And and in the meantime, Joshua will probably get a, a payday or two, and and that's my guess that then it'll happen. I mean, if 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 they really want to make a fight right now, I think you're right. I think you're not going to hear anything, and then you're going to wake up and go, oh my God, they made the fight. You know, because I think it's a lot more likely to happen that way. When, when you're already positioning the press in the negotiation process, you already know where it's ending. Do you know what I mean? Like you're you're right. sitting there and you're involving the press. If you're doing that, you're not. That's not what you do when you try to make a deal. You know. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Uh, just lastly, you wanted to talk about the card this weekend at the the Barclays Center. How's it doing? Uh, what you know besides the marquee matchup? Though, is there anybody on the card that we should know about uh, for the future? Um, there's some. There are like some good prospects on the card, and of course, I don't have um, my bout sheet in front of me. But well, look, I mean, you, you know, you have uh, Rashi Ward on the card, who's not a prospect, but you know, a really good fighter, a multiple-time world champion. Um, you know, he's in a, a competitive kind of match on the card. Heather Hardy coming off two Bellator fights um and uh in, in a row coming back to boxing and she's fighting a 12 and 2 woman who can actually fight and it should be a good scrap and um there's a uh uh richardson hitchens who mayweather promotions has but kid was a really good amateur in new york he's a good good prospect um George Arias, undefeated heavyweight i have kid is really skilled and could fight a lot i wish he was six foot five and and 260, he's he's not. He's a little heavyweight, um, but he's a really good little heavyweight, and um, he's undefeated. He's fighting on the card, and there's a lot of a lot of talent on the card. Um, yeah, I'm excited about the televised bouts. I mean, I, I think it's going to be an action-packed night. Jesus Cuellar, uh, Gavante Davis. I think that's a really good fight. Uh, I think Centeno Jr. Charlo is a short fight, uh, maybe five six rounds. But uh, Boner Vargas, I think that's anybody's fight. It's going to come down to who wants it more. Uh, the Broder right Vargas yeah. fight is a great is a great matchup, and and, and um, I've been impressed with Vargas as, like just as a person. Like the the kid carries himself really well. He's well spoken, carries himself well. He's very confident. Um, I thought it was pretty cool when uh, at the press conference today. I don't know if you I'm sure you noticed, but 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 when Broner was like staring at him and sort of trying to get under his skin, the kid just didn't miss a beat. He just said like, "Hey, look me in the eye. You know, I'm going to beat your ass." And then. You know, he has those kind of instincts you like, you know, you like to see. Broder, man, like his drawing power is like undeniable and it, it continues to surprise me because it, it doesn't necessarily like correlate to his success in the ring. And, you know, no BS, like right now we're on, on a path that we're going to sell out the lower bowl, which is what we, you know, we set the place up for and, and may very well, gonna, you know, we're going to have, we're going to open up the upper bowl. Um, so like we're looking at, you know, certainly 10,000 people, um, and none of the, these three fighters that are the A sides or their opponents who are very strong, uh, you know, opponents, former world champion, um, you know, the, uh, you know, Vargas is an attractive opponent. So Centeno, um, you know, but none of these guys, none of the six of them are from New York and, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. It speaks to to where we've got this whole Brooklyn boxing program to. Um, 
you know, it, it speaks to the strength of a good, solid card that's stacked and has a, offering a lot. But, it, but man, it, it does say something about the continuing star power of Broner. People may not love him, but the people that don't love him, they want to see him, even if it's only to see him get his ass kicked, you know. But he has that kind of appeal where, you know, people are, find him compelling whether or not they are fans of his. And it makes him uh, still one of the bigger draws in boxing. Yeah, I mean, uh, Broner's appeal, I mean, you know, Americans don't need to have their train wrecks, uh, train wrecks have substance, you know. They just need them to keep being train wrecks, and he keeps doing that. So I think as long as he, you know, I think if it's a close fight but a loss for him, I think he can get another chance out of it just because he's he's colorful and people like that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm always excited when when any Charlo fights. So I'm, I'm, I'll definitely be watching. I, I think Davis <laughs> is a pretty exciting guy. So uh, No, the Davis, yeah. look, the Davis-Quayar fight is, is likely to end in a knockout. I mean, Quayar's frankly, yeah. only chance is to hurt, it, it, I think, is to hurt Javante. And, and, I, and, I, and I think he's going to try to hurt Javante. And, and, and Davis is, you know, Davis is a strong, hard-punching little guy with, with a, you know, really good, you know, offensive skills. He's got good skills across the board. So that should be an interesting fight. I think Charlo might be the hardest puncher in the middleweight division. And, you know, Centeno's a, a pretty good kid. Um, the problem he may have is his chin may be his Achilles heel. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, can he manage to go through an entire fight with Charlo without having that chin checked? But I think that's a real interesting fight. And then I think the main event's anybody's fight, you know. Is it the young kid moving up or is it the old guy that needs to win, you know? And he's not that I mean, old I, in I, years, Broner, but, but you know what? I mean, right. he's, he's got miles on him, and there's, o- there's only so many times in a row that you can walk into a fight where, you know, you're – proclaiming that you're going to win and not do it. So it's a, he knows what's at stake. It's a really important night for Broner. I expect you'll see the best out of him, particularly with Kevin Cunningham in his corner. Yeah, well, that's yet to be that. seen. Let's see what happens there. But I got to ask this question before we get you, uh, let you go, Lou. I, I got to ask you, what is the, what is the, what's the deal with Al Heyman and the Barclays Center? Why is there no fights out of there? Why is it always at that same place? Um, well, first of all, it's not always at that same place. I mean, you, you, the, the, Donna Stevenson's fighting in Canada. Uh, there's there shows uh, there's a there's there shows that Errol Spence is fighting in Texas. Um, but but the Barclays Center is one of the premier venues in the country. Brooklyn right now is supporting big fights. I mean, you know, regular million dollar gates and and regular crowds of ten thousand or more. Um, and you're in New York, which is the media capital, and it's also convenient to Showtime, where a lot of those fights are happening. And there's a real dedication in terms of keeping dates and holding dates for boxing and creating a franchise out of boxing at the Barclays Center that you don't even see now out of most casinos. So they really have created a boxing program. And, and you know, it's not a, you know... The events that, that I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of southern, uh, even over here uh, in North Cal- uh, California, or anybody in the West, the major complaint is that they can't fly out there. Why is a Mexican fighter fighting out there if he's the if he's a draw like a Mikey Garcia? Why is he not bringing these fighters and building them up if they're from an area like Southern California? 
You know, and I think that's what's the – that's why I'm asking. There's been a lot well, of – Well, most of the guys from Southern California, if you really look, have also fought in Southern California. But if they're drawing huge gates and, and they're doing well in the New York area, then, you know, like they're better off having – well, why wouldn't they want to be fighting there and get that kind of exposure right. at a premier venue? I mean, you know. I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is also is that um, the, the Barclays Center, because of the continuity of events, fighters are fighting there with some frequency. You know, we made, you know, my company said nothing to do with PBC, but Ivan Baranchek, who's about to fight for a vacant world title, um, became a celebrity in Oklahoma and was generating site fees every time he fought in Miami, Oklahoma, which adopted him as you know, it's native son, that that was his hometown, and by, by the regularity in which he fought there. So, you know, there are a lot of fighters that have in the past made, you know, second homes away from home um, in cities other than the ones that they were developed in. Well, there you go. Well, Lou, again, man, I want to thank you for coming on Leaving the Rings. We really appreciate it uh, coming on there and, and answering our questions. Uh, until again, bro. Right, my pleasure to be on. And by the way, take a look at the crowd when you watch, when you turn your TV on Showtime on Saturday night, look at this crowd and listen to it and realize they all bought tickets and that <laughs> there's a kid from Maryland, a guy from Houston, and a guy from Cincinnati as the A-sides and uh, a South American guy and a guy from Cali and actually, what, a guy from Nevada as a B-side. So nobody from from Brooklyn in the six TV slots, but look at what that room sounds like and looks like on Saturday night. I definitely, we definitely right. will. Thank you. All right, guys. Good to be All with right, you. Man. Bye-bye. Happy 420. Take care. All right. Bye. Well, there you go. You had Lou DiBella come on and uh, express his thoughts about Triple G and team Triple G uh, going on ahead with the uh, Matarosian fight. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that he was realistic about it, Gabriel. I mean, you know, he said, hey, I'm not going to fault him at all because that's exactly probably what I would have done as well is avoid a threat and move on and get that six figure, you know? Yeah, uh, I understand that. But but it also, it's a thing I've I've talked about in the past on TNR is that we understand Gennady's trying to build a business and a legacy, but there's a bunch of other people in, you know, in, the, other, in the four divisions that are working towards the same goal of trying to get a belt or get all the belts. Uh, and his point's well taken. It's like the guy gets passed over here, but now he's also going to get passed over in September when they make the rematch with Canelo. Uh, so right. at that point, you got to strip him. Uh, it's just Can you hear me? You know, how, yeah. Okay, just want to make sure because I um, I finally got my computer up and working. Just wanted to oh, make good. sure yeah, that you can hear me. Yeah, your vocal quality changed. Yeah, um, perfect. So that you know, but it, it's something that that I find funny. It's why I, I call it hypocrisy heaven. Uh, this fight is because everyone's making the argument that Triple G for this kind of money shouldn't have to prepare for a dangerous fighter who is twelve and zero with ten knockouts. Kind of an unknown qual- quantity at the top level, despite moving towards the mandatory spot. But they're totally fine with a 154-pounder who's like, what, three and six 
uh, in his last six. He's won three out of his last six. Uh, I know there were razor, you know, decisions, but Vonis always loses kind of close fights, right? He always kind of does just enough to lose. That's kind of his story is when the lights are on, like the green fight, uh, you know, w- when he got that fight, uh, he stuck out the giant. It was, you know, and that's kind of his MO. But so now we're, right. we're totally fine with him taking this chance on a few weeks notice, moving up to 160 from 154 where he's spent his whole career at amateur and pro like we're all fine with that like that's the acceptable risk we we don't want the middleweight champion to risk or risk his money which is always weird because we hear well it's not your money when we're talking about floyd or a pbc fighter why do you care that they're getting paid it's not your money but here i'll tell you why defend triple g because he might make some money right his big payday i mean that that remember back when he fought very funny it was it was you know boxing all of a sudden it was boxing business but I'll, I'll give you my reason why Matarosian is okay with me. I think it's a decent fight. It's a fight where you have a solid fighter that's going to go rounds with Triple G. And when I say that, because, see, here's the, here's the thing is, when you look in social media, you see everybody, well, he's going to knock him out. You know, he's going to just knock this guy out. Um, guys, slow down. I mean, Triple G is a monster guy, but he's a volume puncher. He's not one dude that just throws one punch and all of a sudden you're gone. He didn't do that with uh, with Canelo. He didn't do it with uh, Daniel Jacobs. Uh, he's a guy that gradually works forward and gets the buildup in order to kind of steam ro- over you. So to me, Matarosian is the guy that is going to go in there, give him some rounds, and there's going to have some moments because – I don't know about you or the rest of the world that watched the first fight with Gennady Golovkin and, and, and Saul Canelo, but I saw some bit of an age there. It took him a little longer to get the wheels going. It took him a little longer to, um, to kind of trap Canelo. And, and I don't disagree with folks that have emailed me and said, hey, do you think there would have been a if, – if, if Canelo's uh, conditioning was 100%, do you think that he could have uh, taken more of the rounds and put Triple G? Because if you watch those first four rounds, uh, Gennady was having some problems there. And I know to the Gennady fans, the lovers of Gennady, the defenders of Gennady, they're going to say, what, are you crazy? Well, guys, I'm not biased. I'm watching the fight with both eyes, not one. Not one and the, hand, the other hand covering the other. You know? So I actually watched the fight uh, like two days ago, three days ago now. Uh, uh-huh. And and uh, just you know, hadn't seen it. I think maybe I watched it twice, uh, not the other day, but you know, since the fight live, and then again before uh, the next round. And then uh, just the other day, I was like, you know, I'm gonna watch this fight again and see where Gennady's at. And and why is it that they're? I mean, you know, he hasn't fought in two years. And and I would say six months back, uh, Vanas was up here doing some sparring. And was just helping somebody uh-huh. out, but it was like as, as big as I'd ever seen him. Like he wasn't in great shape. Uh, he was working himself back into shape. Uh, from the pictures I've seen of him now, he looks to be in very good shape heading into this mini camp for Triple G. So, you know, maybe he had something lined up or he was waiting, you know, and just, just training. Uh, he's getting a nice rhythm with, with all the people out here uh, with, with Victor's gym. Uh, his dad and, and Remy Korchemny, who's the track coach, uh, get along famously. And so there's this nice. Uh, ability to speak to each other and, and uh, sense of family and all that. He's going to be 
feeling as good as he can feel on the night. But he hasn't fought in two years. He's a 154. Uh, I I don't know. It's hard for me to say. It's He's always been a durable pick. guy that goes rounds, right. but at 154. Right. At 154. You know? And 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 you know what? This is this is the advantage, and this is what Gennady Golovkin's team have have worked up to, which is be the A side and be able to get away with certain things to secure themselves for an eight figure payday that may or may not happen in September. And you know, I may not like it. There's plenty of fans out there that don't like this fight. But this is boxing, and this is what happens. Your expectations cannot be too high, unfortunately. It just can't be that high. I'm thankful to that bullshit, who, you know, who you know and I have met numerous times, but numerous occasions. Uh, he got the fight. Now, is he going to be a punching bag for a guy that's securing himself for this eight-figure payday? Absolutely. I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to argue that he may win a round or two because I don't think he is. Because, you know, like, as you pointed out, 154. Hasn't fought in two years. But he does have a durable chin um, to fight. He is a professional, you know? Yeah. But they wanted you know. something safe. They wanted something safe. But he's safe. also, I mean, I, I don't know about uh-huh. you. I go to the fights to see competitive fights. I'm not here to watch the beauty of Gennady Golovkin any more than I was there to watch the beauty of Floyd Mayweather against an overmatched opponent. But there's well, that's because you're an actual it. fight fan, though, Gabriel. Let's be fair here. Most people that tune in to watch fights tune in to watch the one person they want to watch. And if you look at the, the social media world, the Gennady fans have become like uh, Manny Pacquiao fans at one time. You know, they're, they're in love with their fighter. They got this, this infatuation with them. And no matter what he says and what he does, it's gold. It's gold, baby. And whatever you're saying, you know what they're going to say to you? I don't want to hear that soft shit. I don't want to hear that soft shit. Take that soft shit somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And, I mean, I don't even choose to engage with guys that are not going to be open to the fact that this is a crappy fight, you know? Um, now, is it is it in the terms of Gennady Golovkin's ducking, uh, you know, his mandatory, he's ducking a real, real fight? Um He's not ducking the opponent. He's ducking of he's ducking losing an eight figure payday. I don't know anybody else that would do that. Would you? I wouldn't do that. And I know for a fact that Tom Offer and them were not that dumb. They're not in the position that they're at for making stupid decisions. Well and Felix Trinidad fought Winky Wright. Felix Trinidad fought Winky Wright and he wrote him a check in the locker room for a million of his own dollars to make the fight happen. A bad style for him. Uh, he could have fought Mosley. Uh, he could have fought like you know more advantageous style for him, uh, but he chose to fight Winky Wright. And I, I've heard people, c- c- you know, uh, compare Golovkin. He's the closest thing to Hagler I've seen, and you know since Hagler, uh, forgetting about Bernard Hopkins uh, setting you know defense record and, and his great title reign. Uh, but when you're c- getting comparisons like that, we always talk about this. There are guys that want to be great. And there's everybody else. Gennady wants all the belts, and that's a very clear mission. But, you know, with a month out, they could have made a clear decision. You know, we're, we're going to keep this date. This guy looks like he's not going to fight. And remember, you know, Greg Leone wrote about this on Boxing Talk, and it was yesterday. Uh, yeah, it was yesterday. Uh, and he talked about how it was Golovkin's lawyer 
who sent a letter to the NAC and pointed out it was a strict liability rule and how, you know, this guy, whether he proves it was inadvertent or not, needs a suspension. So they canceled the fight. Golovkin's side made sure once he was positive that the fight wasn't going to happen. Well, then at that point, you got to fight your mandatory. Why, why can't you fight him in four weeks? If you're the greatest thing since Hagler, you're Mr. Mexican style, you respect boxing fans, and you're all about it, then I say, you know, fight your mandatory. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I knew that matter. that was just uh, Not just right. for the guys that have the belt, but for the guys that are working their way towards getting a shot at one. Now this guy's going to have to wait till when to get his fight. It's not right. It's got to be stripped. You it's got to be make, it's If you're going to be a business guy, cool. But, you know, take your medicine. Strip them. I'm in control of the uh, thing. I'm going on a rant while I thought you were going to the phones. <laughs> you know, here I thought I wasn't going to have to work the damn switchboard anymore. Uh, 310, you're live on the next round. I'm sorry. You're live on Leave It in the Ring. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Evan, are you there? Yes. Yes. Hello. Hey. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Doing good, Dave, man. I think I, I'm doing Dave good. You know what? I, I ate some pizza a little earlier, so I think it's finally coming up. I'm getting at that age, man, where I, if I eat certain things, I'm starting to get heartburn. <laughs> eat steak being one of them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I do very well with steak, Evan. You know, <laughs> there are no suspensions under my belt here. But, uh, hey, man, well, welcome to the show. I definitely want to hear. Thank you for having me. You know, um, which your show is going to be up tomorrow for the fans that are listening right now. Uh, uh, the aficionados is it will be up a little late. Well, evening time on Friday. And uh, I, I had a chance to check out a little bit. So I'm excited to put that one up. I think the fans are going to not be disappointed with this episode that you're dropping on Friday. But we had Lula Bella on and uh, he said, hey, you know what? I don't fault. Gennady Golovkin's team or Gennady on not wanting to get in the ring with his guy, but choosing to go to for moderation to secure an eight-figure in September with Canelo Alvarez. Let me ask you, if I remember correctly, you tuned in to the, to the conference that uh, Nevada had and giving Canelo the six-month suspension. What was your take and what was your thoughts about it? Well, look, I, I'm have been critical i'm critical again in this episode i should have been more critical last episode i think you know i applaud taking a stance against peds like i i do i think this is a misguided one i think there is plausible deniability for canelo on this and i don't really know whether he cheated or not um but in almost any other state and in almost any other case you can make a legal case here that he did not intend to cheat, and it was out of his control. And honestly, it's like when you take a stand, you got to make sure you're buttoned up on this stuff. And I don't think they were. And look, that stuff matters. And so you're essentially delaying this. Now, the effect of it might actually make the fight bigger. Um, I love the Jordan Brand ad that came out. I hope the <laughs> animosity between stuff. the two. Yeah, I love that it. was great I love stuff. It. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I hope, I hope the fight is bigger because of it. And you know what? Lou DiBella should want his fighter to fight Gennady after this fight. If Gennady beats Canelo in September, Lou's fighter is going to make a lot more money. 
He just is. Like, that's fantastic for Lou. You got to wait and maybe you got to strip the belt and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it, look, make the fight as big as possible. This is what the pay-per-view market is about at this point. It's, maybe it's these that's big, why, big fights. Right, and maybe that's why Lou is very self-controlled in this, in, in, in this late call that he had with this on Leaving the Ring, Gabriel, because at times we've had Lou, and I think uh, 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 Leonard – who who used to be with um, who still is with the leaving the ring? Remember when he did that interview <laughs> with Lenny, and he he was in raw form, Lou DeBella, and it oh, just seemed geez, to me yeah, he, 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 he just yeah he seemed a little calm. I was expecting a raw Lou DeBella to come on and just kind of go off about the fact that his fighter was not getting the shot at Triple G, but he wasn't. No way. And I think his fighters going to have think, a full training camp, a full exactly. time to prepare, and and his fighters probably going to make two or three times as much money. There you go. I mean, if if Gennady wins and if he wins impressively, that's a pay per view fight. It's really. What I do you mean, think about like that? That's what you want. What do you think about Bonner? What do you think about this fight? I mean, it is. It's not a great fight. I mean, it, it, it's the best you can do on this kind of news. I guess you know, and I mentioned this in the pod. The Gennady Golovkin brand is kind of unfortunate that through no fault of his own, he's he's taking a little bit of a brand hit especially with hardcore fans, because if you're a hardcore fan, you love him due to the activity that he had. And, and I went into it a little bit like, you know, I, I kind of went into it really deep, but his, his brand is built on that. And he had a symbiotic relationship with HBO where he really was able to get on there a lot. I think performing in Europe helped for that. I think probably take like Tom Loeffler not bleeding HBO dry for every single fight um, and, and him building uh, an attendance base to, to fund opponents. Cause when you got someone like him, it's, you got to overpay opponents. So he, he built that brand and it's taken a little bit of a hit with this. Now I think that's okay because he, his next five opponents aren't going to equal the payday that he's going to get with Canelo. And at a certain point, you just got to say that's fine. Like it's prize fighting, you know. You're you could get brain damage doing this. And get the biggest paydays possible, like that. It, it, he could probably make twenty five or thirty million dollars against Canelo. You know, how can you tell him not to do that? Right. I mean, could he have postponed this fight until June? Yeah, you could make an argument for that and, and fought one of his mandatories. Um, you can you can definitely make that argument. I think there's enough enough of his fans, especially his hardcore fans, are hardcore. Like they would love to see him fight on Cinco de Mayo. They're kind of like hardcore Mexican American fan base. Like that's a hardcore boxing fan. Um, I mean, trust me, I was in the crowd for the first fight, Golovkin Canelo, and there were there's definitely this. You know, the marketing term would be sort of brand equity, but there's this like palpable thing he has going on where you feel like there's, you know, this crowd that's cheering against their own national soccer team. It's crazy. Like, like he did that, you know, um, and it's the way he fights and it's, and it's his style and it's everything that a hardcore fan appreciates it. But in New York, if you went there, it, the crowd who would show up for him was just pure fight fans. It's everybody. Everybody right. loves the way he fights, you know? Um, so 
going back to Vonis, I don't, you know, I don't know what to make of that. It's a tough. Like Vonis has been so inactive. I tell you what. I tell you what I make. You can you can make it. It's it's right. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. But I can tell you what I can make of it. There's there's two things, two sides to this, I believe. One is, you know, obviously, Team Gennady Golovkin are looking at the big payday in September. But they're looking at their fighter. They, you know, obviously they could have pushed it to June, right? You know, give the other guy more time if they were going to go after the mandatory. But instead, they have their fighter. He's juiced. He's ready. He wants to fight. Why allow him to sit it off and not get that aggression out? At the time that was set and ready to go, I mean, if we go back and we look at Tito Trinidad with Bernard Hopkins, when 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 the fight was canceled, not by their fault, but when it was canceled to a later date, it almost you almost call you almost caught a Trinidad flat. He wasn't the Trinidad. Yep. Like Trinidad looked ready to go on fight the fight night that was scheduled. When he came back, he just wasn't that guy. And I think that that's, that's how trainers that's, look at their fighters. That's definitely one of the classic examples, you know, and, and I think I think the other thing is like people don't realize like if you're a boxer, you're an independent contractor and you put a lot of money and time and effort into your training camp and you're, you schedule it to peak at a certain point um, and you can always make adjustments. But that's really like that's kind of what it is. You know, it's not like very rarely, especially at this kind of a level with these kind of stakes, like you can't really screw with that that much and so i i get it and also like look if gennady wins on may 5th and then he wins in september i mean who who does own the two sort of quote-unquote mexican holidays does he own them i don't know at that point that you know who knows i mean those are sort of the big two pay-per-view days yep yeah i just wonder how many like miles that, you know he, gennady's got left in him you know um, I think he's fresher at this point than maybe Martinez was at this point. Um, yeah. He doesn't well, seem to have any nagging injuries or anything, but he's getting slower and he's getting hit more flush and more, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. uh, no. And, and that's even a bigger, more of an argument. I mean, it's less, but I, it's more of an argument for him to fight Bonas and then Canelo in September, at least if you're on Gennady's team. Now, if you're just a pure fan, I understand it. Um, I understand that you're a little bit disappointed in it, but by, by that logic too, it's like you don't have too much of this left in the run. So definitely enjoy it. Enjoy it. You know, like yeah, no one I, complained when he knocked out Rubio in two rounds. I mean, that, you know, it's, I did. I actually thought that was a shit fight too. And I was like, why is everybody celebrating? I mean, it's a shit fight. Uh, you know, you we know. used to call him the Dark Cloud, uh, Evan, for a reason. You know, know, and I like, you know, I respect Rubio as a fighter. I'm really fond of Vonis. He's a really great guy, true, true fighter, Uh, just really like pure fighter, like mentality, Uh, drop of a hat. He's ready to go. I I respect that. But, you know, I wasn't excited about the Brook fight either. You know, everybody, all of a sudden fight fans are telling me, well, it's an event, you know, that's great. You know, like go to a freaking concert. I want to see a fight. You know, I want to see an evenly matched fight. I want to see a guy challenged. Um, but you know, that, that's me. I got something to do that night already. Like before they announced the bonus fight, I already had something to do. So, you know, uh, so did I, know. I have a birthday to celebrate, <laughs> you know, on yeah, Cinco de Mayo. It's Dave's birthday. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing a, a live podcast. I'm guesting on a live podcast here in, here in the city that night. So, you know, like it, it, to me, it's just one of those, it's like, 
I'll catch it on the you know replay, you know, right. HBO mm-hmm. Now or no, whatever, I, HBO Go. And I, I, I think everybody understands that that mentality. You know, <laughs> oh, it's, absolutely. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Right. Like, that's. It's not can't miss television. Um, and it's but, no reason you know, to stop being a Gennady Golovkin fan. You know, the guy exactly, brings it. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's my my overall point, and maybe I am a little bit biased. Uh, you know, because we worked with him and Tom real closely, but uh, and he and he's he was fantastic to work with. But you know, it, and Tom's great. Like we did it. You know, we did the same thing with Canelo too. I mean, it, you know, I like them both. Uh, so, but yeah, that's that is exactly what Vanus versus Gennady is. It's okay. Maybe maybe we'll watch it if there's nothing else on and. Otherwise, if you got something else to do, catch it on replay. You kind of know the outcome, but um, I think you get to September, and then if you're a Gennady fan, I, th- I think he will be active after that. And it's not, I have no inside info on that, but I think once he, you know if he beats Canelo, now if, he, now if Canelo wins, I mean Gennady's got to take a, a real hard look at the roadmap as to where he's going. Um, but if Gennady wins, look, you know what's happening. He's going for all the, all the belts. Like that, that's going to be he'll overpay, I'm sure, for BJ Saunders, and and he'll overpay, you know, for losing. I think Dara it depends. Chenko or whatever. Right, but I think if in Canelo's if on Canelo's part, it, it depends in how how he wins. If it's a close fight, it's a no brainer. Canelo do it again. It's big money. Mm-hmm. But if it's a shutout then Canelo's in a real pickle here because there's some real dangerous middleweight sitting to take the throne, you know? Yeah, um, it, well, that's always, I think, in the back of everyone's mind. Right. You know, PJ Saunders is a stylistic nightmare for everyone if he brings it. Um, Danny Jacobs, I would love to see HBO put him in against tougher opponents. Um, and I would love to see him fight either, you know, Golovkin again or Canelo. But he might even be favored, depending on how these guys look. Like he might even be favored as well. Like if you're being realistic, um, we haven't I'd seen much Danny from Danny Jacobs. Yeah. Against against Gennady. Yeah. I mean, if you're being realistic, now we haven't. I don't think we've seen enough of him because you know, especially in the last two fights with Golovkin. Um, and I don't think I don't want this to come off as a criticism of Abel Sanchez. You can you can argue that there were tactical improvements to be made um, within the fight for Gennady. And so the question is, do they adjust properly to the fighter? Um, like, do they sort of have that Andre Ward moment where they come back and figure it out? Um, you know, or was that a sign that he's really slipping and he can't make the adjustments? You know. There you go. Yeah, he, I, was, right. I watched that fight a couple of days ago or three days ago, and and he he doesn't look like a guy that can make adjustments. Like physically, there's like an energy that's missing from him. You know, a get up and go. When you watch him in the amateurs, or even like you know as a young pro, he had, he's like like almost like a Tito in that. He, I guess you can see this in all fighters. Like they they just have more bounce early on, and he's mm-hmm. just slowly become more of a plotter. Well, know, and, a and I think I think the the stylistic question is, did he do that because he just, he's gotten into this one track mindset or is he really capable of, cause he kind of did it against Lemieux. Although I guess you could say he didn't make any in 
in-fight adjustments. He just sort of came in and showed a good box. Um, but that's sort of like if you're if you're really being critical at the elite level of, of what he's actually doing in the ring, like that's really the big question that he's got to answer, you know. Uh, yeah. And he's probably not going to answer it against Bonnet, unfortunately. So no, no, no. It's just going to be a high-profile uh, sparring match. You know, I mean, you know, I don't want to uh, um, not give uh, Bonas his credit. I mean, he's a solid guy. He comes to fight, but two years layoff and moving up six pounds with with the, one of the best middleweights out there to date. It's 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 a lot to chew, and he's going to be chewing a lot of leather to find out whether or not he was ready on a three week notice to step in with the number one middleweight champion of the world. Um, well, you can also yeah. you can be critical of the fight and the circumstances, and not actually be critical of Vonis. And I think that's what we're all going out of our way to say here, because you know maybe under the right circumstances, Vonis could give a good fight. It's just really this is just really tough. Like it's no one. How could you expect much of him? Like we have no idea what kind of shape he was in or anything like that. No, like no, we don't. I mean, this shape, is a big you know, guessing game, and, right? Yeah. I think, like I said, he'd been up for like some sparring a while back. He might have been traveling back and forth. You know, he he uh, already seemed to be showing a six pack in like one of the shots. So, you mm-hmm. know, uh, he's probably in good shape, and they take good care of him over there. So, mm-hmm. you know, he he might be. Uh, I won't be surprised if if, if uh, you know, because Victor has talked about how uh, yeah. uh, he thinks that that the triple G training at altitude is actually working against him at this point. That you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, maybe the first few fights it was great because it was new, uh, it shocked his body, but now it's having diminishing returns. But you know, Abel doesn't is very close-lipped about. You see his training techniques, but you know, I don't know if his guys supplement like what, what they do or how old school they are. Does he you know taking vitamins or, or whatnot up there to to you know get ready for and adjust for the altitude and all that? You know, um, th- that's the thing I'm kind of curious about. I know Vonis is going to be in good shape. Uh, hopefully he was in good shape to begin with, and uh, he'll be ready. I just and and you know Bonus adding is, the extra weight, right. maybe he comes in at 58, and is just stronger and and uh, a little more explosive. You know who knows? He is you know 5'11. He should be able to carry the weight. Well, that and, and you have to love the attitude. I mean, I love any attitude where you dare to be great. You know, I'm I'm probably yes. one of the few boxing fans who loved watching Conor McGregor. I mean, uh, like. I I say this, and in the same moment, I basically told all of my friends uh, at five or six to one odds, bet everything you have on Floyd Mayweather, and probably around this round, like I'll script out the fight for you. But like, I love seeing anyone dare to be great at whatever they're doing, and that's what Bonus is doing. All credit to him. Yeah, I wish Triple G had dared to be great, but you're right. Like the long game of it, <laughs> you know. If Derevchenko, you know, if it's Canelo that wins, then you know it's got to wait for the third fight, or maybe they go, hey, let's fight other people and then come back to each other. I mean, for Triple G, he's got to get it now with Canelo, but uh, Derevchenko might be in line to make some more money, you know. And he's only 12 and 0, 10 knockouts. He can he can afford maybe an interim fight, stay busy. I hope he doesn't sit around. All the number ones have to have to stay active. Well, he I, look, I don't imagine. I'm sure Lou- you know, Lou will get him a fight somewhere that he knows he could win, but Lou's kind of played this perfectly. He basically got his name out there, and then he pulled him back. So people, there's actually some name recognition, 
and then he has the leverage for the big fight when it's time to make the big fight. I mean, he's either going to get him against Canelo or Triple G based on whoever wins. You know, they also that's fantastic. Classy. He didn't come out of it with everybody kind of hating him. You know, now we just mm-hmm. are very aware of Darvinchenko. You know, I got to see him work up here. The guy, he's a workhorse, man. And I think what they call him the technician. He's just very precise. He's going to be a long night for Triple G if they ever fight. Yeah. He'd be great no. with Canelo, too, actually, you know. I, I mean, I say this. I have yet to actually see him fight, so I, I don't know what he's capable of oh, or no, anything like that. Yeah, he's the but, real deal. You know, yeah, that from from all reports, it, it certainly sounds that way. You know, he doesn't forget to go to the body. Triple G better <laughs> remember how to. You know, yeah. Uh, if, yeah. He, if he's gonna, I'm sure he will at uh, StubHub Center. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Well, so your your next episode is what is that episode seven dropping tomorrow night? Dropping tomorrow night, and I I think I did the sound better this time. I apologize. <laughs> I, you know, you I wonder if people listen about and then, Yeah, I, and then I heard it from everyone that on social is. media. And I was like, okay, okay, got it, guys. I will figure this out next time. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, that's one thing. So. One thing about our listeners, they will they will catch the blemishes. I'm gonna hear a lot about it for this 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 episode. I'm gonna tell you now because now my mic went down, so I had to call back in with the phone. But hey, Evan, thanks for calling in, bro. We're gonna keep moving on. Um, All right. Appreciate the insight, and it was great. Thanks again. Good stuff, guys. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye, man. Peace. <laughs> We're gonna patch in right now in a short bit here. Uh, Brian Fogg, who is with Leaving the Ring, but writes for. Uh, the Yuma Sun. He moved to Arizona. I don't know if you know that, Gabriel, but he moved down to Arizona. So you know, you know that means more beer. Heat equals more beer. Grandma uh, Margie Montoya uh, is from Yuma, Arizona. So that's very exciting. There you go. Hey, guys. How's, there you go. how's it going tonight? Good. Good, Good man. Brian, Long time no talk. Yeah. I, uh, you said your grandma's down here, Gabe? Yes, she was. Yeah, she's no longer with us. But yeah, she originated in Yuma. Didn't want to go back. Yeah. Didn't didn't talk about why. (laughs) Well, that's great. I just moved here, so I'll keep an eye out for uh, anything too crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I think you'll be okay. You're 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 not Mexican, so I think that might have been the thing. I don't know. No, but uh, I'm I'm a (laughs) white-looking Hispanic guy, so I never had any trouble. (laughs) Nice, but uh, nice. uh, Yeah, I kind of. Wondering what you guys think of uh, the card this weekend. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know. You guys see two kind of uncompetitive fights and uh, one that's kind of fifty-fifty with Broner Vargas there. Uh, I'm thinking probably what thing about Charlo probably wasn't high on Charlo until six months or well the last year or so, and both of them just started mowing everyone down. <laughs> I, I no, like the yeah. like, You know what? I mean, here's the thing with Broner is Broner is is when he came out when he took when the world boxing world took notice of Broner he had the Mayweather mystique right. Everybody's like, wow, this right. guy is the mirror of Floyd of of now. But then he slowly the cockiness took over, which was a good thing for 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 fight fans. Sure. Um. He decided to take on more dangerous opponents, which was like Madonna. 
and and then we got good fights out of him. And ever since then, mm-hmm. here's a guy with a chip on his shoulder because he's kind of blaming the world around him for not getting his credit due when it's really been his own fault, you know? Right. And so this, to me, is a perfect opportunity for Jesse Vargas to get a KO over Broner, which I think a lot of folks have been waiting for to see Broner get dropped again and and shut (laughs) down, you know? But at the same time, Broner, man, I mean, you know, there's still some pop in legs and and in hand speed with Broner, so he could give Vargas some trouble here. But I got to tell you, I think that if anyone should be thanking Broner and Vargas at the moment right now, should be the guy that sings six nine this and six nine that, six nine that on my gat and all that other crap, right? Because I let's be honest, he brought the fight to life. Right. You know? I mean, I heard of this kid about about what six months ago, my nephew, Sean, is a huge fan of uh Takashi sixty nine. And and unlike most folks that are saying his his music is garbage, I, I have to uh to admit here is um Hey man, I bought his album. Okay, <laughs> is this like a midlife crisis for you, man? Dude, I'm telling you, I'm bumping it at the lot, you know, my car lot, and I'm over there listening. I'm, oh, you know, man. he ain't no biggie, but I was like, yo, kind of, you know, shoot me. But but it's no surprise to see hip hop back in the mix with boxing, and I, like I said, Jesse Vargas and Ludabell and the rest of these guys. Should thank Takashi Six Nine to hear a bit because he's hot right now in the market, <laughs> and he he put notice on on this about this fight. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Broner's really. Uh, I mean, he's kind of grown into his whole life as a, like a wrestling heel out there. I mean, he he loves being the the bad guy kind of in this, and uh, yeah, he he doesn't. And I don't remember the last time he made a bad fight. Uh, no. Did, uh, M- Mikey Garcia, Sean Porter. Yeah, he was kind of one-sided losses, but they were, they were sort of fun. And, uh, and, then, and, and you know, you know what? He never gave up. He, you never saw no, that's, a guy that's go, it. that's it. I'm done. Sean Porter, he you know? knocked him down in the 12th round, wasn't it? Yeah. Or 11th, yep. 11th round. So I yeah. think that'll be interesting. Uh, I, I do kind of expect Bar- Broner's not necessarily Bro- a big welt. I know it's at a catch weight, but he's not a big welt right. weight. Uh, physically, I know it's kind of ballooned. And Vargas, I mean, there could be like a 10, 12-pound weight difference between the guys if they get in there. And I'm thinking Vargas is going to look like a, look like a middleweight out there, or at least that's what yeah. he's going to plan to do. I want to ask you guys this. I want to ask you guys this. I mean, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but Broner to me is the is the Hector Camacho Sr. of the Millennium. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does. He he comes to fight. He, you know, he makes it interesting by his trash talking, and he believes in it. But he never re- really wins these high-profile fights at all. Sure. Yeah, he's he's kind of that B B plus A minus contender, the back end of the top end. But he's gonna be there, and he's gonna make fights, and people are gonna watch because they hate him. That's the third part with uh, Broner. But yeah, you know, I'm excited for this one though. I mean, Broner comes to fight and really. Jesse, uh, uh, he hasn't done a whole lot lately, I guess. Uh, he, had, I don't, he had one fight since Pacquiao, and that's two years. 
Yeah. I think that's right. So I, you know, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of ring rust from all that time off. It's tough to say. Uh, one, one thing I was kind of curious with you guys, so, while you're wondering about it, the you know, Nodio Donaire fights this weekend. Uh, as an obvious B-side sort of opponent against Carl Frampton, do you think he has any chance of uh, well, doing anything at all over there? Again, here's a guy that, that may not be the same person anymore. may not be the Flash. Right. You know, I think, I think photographers have more Flash than the Flash at the moment. <laughs> but he's a guy that comes to fight. I don't see no quit in him. So I think Frampton's going to have his hands full for a bit until he, you know, catches rhythm and he starts to do the things that he wants to do. But I think at any chance in any opening, Donier can take advantage of it. I don't. What do you think, Gabriel? I think Donier has a it has a solid chance of, of upsetting. Yeah, I mean there there's no real size differentials here. I mean you know five five and a half for Donaire, five five for Carl Frampton. Actually, Donito's got a 68 inch reach to Frampton's 62 inch reach. He's got more experience uh, being successful, I think, at the top level. Uh, Frampton's been up there, but kind of I don't know. I, I just don't think he ever should have lost to, to, to Santa Cruz. I, I don't rate that high. I know people will probably kill me for saying that, but, uh, but I think Nonito, you know, he hasn't looked too bad. Uh, he, he had that loss to, to Santa Cruz. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm looking at Walter? Frampton. He's actually, uh, he's had a, you know, the loss to Magdaleno, but, uh, oh, but, you know, he came back with, uh, you know, a 10 round decision in his last fight, uh, Donaire to move himself into position for this. So, uh, you know, I think it's anyone's fight uh, on some level. Frampton hasn't looked exactly great himself as of late. Uh, even in winning with uh, against Horatio Garcia, uh, you know, he, I don't know, he had his moments where he just didn't quite look like a, the same confident guy that, that beat Santa Cruz. Uh, so I, I think, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's not a gimme fight. It's, it's kind of an underrated right. fight this week. I haven't, really been paying much attention to uh to tr- i haven't really been on twitter until we like you know, announced <laughs> I the show today uh so you know i haven't really checked the news but uh does this fight have buzz Are people talking about it not really not really but no, you know not what at all. no I, no i'll put bobby's twitter <laughs> right yeah i think his wife has made more noise than him at, at the yeah. moment in fight week you know but <laughs> you know i think with no needle is the thing is that what what I've seen of him of late is is he's the older he the older he's become, the more he thinks a bit too much in the ring, and he doesn't mm-hmm. let his hands go when they should should let you know when he should let them go. So I think that's the only way he loses this fight is if he just kind of sits back, and and he kind of cocks the, the 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 punches before he throws them, because you can read that, and he's been doing right. that a whole lot. You know, he's not the counterpuncher of, of, of the old at all. He's now more of an off, offense fighter, and it's been, become pretty predictable. So it's an interesting fight. I'm not going to write him off, though. I think he can pull the upset, but I really think it depends on how Frampton comes about with his game plan. Well, and if you look at some of the guys Nodito struggled with, I mean, Nicholas Walters, he came in looking like a welterweight. Uh, Jenny yep. Magdaleno, he's He's kind of a big featherweight or a big junior. Uh, and, I mean, Rigando when he was a little bit younger. So, I mean, he struggled with big guys. And then 
a, a real like special talent. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe Frampton's nowhere near that, and Nonito's just a good enough athlete that he can still do something out there. Or maybe he's completely shot, and we're just wasting our time. But uh, yeah, I think it's kind of an interesting fight for the weekend. I and it doesn't seem like it's getting much hype at all, just with all, all the fights going on, the triple header, and then uh, the Canelo Triple G drama, and Vanas, and even Amir Khan this weekend too. Oh God, I forgot about Amir. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I was kind of chinny on that one. Yeah, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Back sorry. I had that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm intrigued by it. I'm curious. It's on ESPN Plus. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm I'm, uh, you know, I want I kind of want to check out that platform. So you know, it's, I, it's, I tell you, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Is that I'm not going to watch any of the fights this this Saturday. I'm going to DVR oh, them, man. and the reason is because I'll be in Southern California. Um, my 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 youngest brother got got us tickets for and, and and I don't even know how I did. I must have been high as a kite when I said yes, but uh <laughs> I'm going to America's Got Talent. I'll be in America's Got Talent, guys. So if you see me, I'll be oh, the man. guy holding the sign saying I love Sam and Cal. Um so that's where I'm gonna be Saturday. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. That's a, that's just awful. I I thought better of you Dave. <laughs> I know man. I know. You know, it's I just it's surreal because um, I almost got shot by a cop today, and I'm kind of oh, hoping that he could have shot me today so I didn't have to go to this thing on Saturday. But <laughs> That's funny. Hey, Dave, you uh, mentioned uh, ESPN Plus there. Uh, uh, have either of you guys done anything with it or made a username? Uh, uh, I mean, it looks like we're, we're, we're going to have a ton of fights on there. I just don't know what to think about the app and the concept. I mean, this is probably more haven't of Evans Valley. Yeah. No, honestly, uh, I haven't. Uh, like, I, I kind of took a, a social media and, like, just kind of uh, news break, you know, after leaving next round. So, no, I haven't, I haven't even pulled it into my phone. I, uh, today was, like, the most I wanted to talk about the fight. So, like, Dave kind of got me talking about <laughs> this fight. And, uh, and then, you know, in the morning, it was like, we should do a show. So, I was like, all right. But, uh well, he was going to do a show anyways, uh, but right. uh, he got me intrigued. You know, I could probably talk myself into why I think Vaughn is like, do you think you have to throw out the Eros Andy Lara fights? I think so. You know, here's the yeah. thing. is Here's the reality, and I think this is the thing that we need to point out. Triple G has start. He's a slow starter. He's, he's kind of shown that, you know, that he, he will give rounds away. And I think that's where uh, uh, Vaughn can take advantage. Also, we've seen Triple G not having the greatest condition in terms of there's there's moments where you could take advantage of him because he'll sit it out for a while, you know, mm-hmm. and you know you could kind of look at that he's sitting it out to kind of see your mistakes and where he could, you know, capitalize on. But to me, those are opportunities to be to to cap to you know take advantage and capitalize on your yourself. And Canelo was doing that, so yep. Bonds would have to kind of start fast and and. To me, Vonis would have to not trap himself. He's going to have to test himself and to see whether or not he can really withstand a, a true 160-pounder puncher. And, so you know, take... oh, 
Does it take triple G? You know, Vonis is a real like awkward dude, kind of long arms, kind of lanky, and uh, just kind of a weird guy to fight. Does it take triple G four or five rounds just to get the hang of that? That's the big question. That's what I'm saying. I think that's why Vonis may make this a little bit more of a a, a stretch of a fight than most folks are giving mm-hmm. it. You know, saying that Vonis is going to be he's going to get blown out of there. Who he hasn't fought in two years. It's going to be a murder roll for you know for him and, and et cetera. You know, I mean, yes, HBO is going to have a, a KO reel possibly or maybe not, but it's going to have some <laughs> significant punches to to reel for the upcoming September fight. But I mean, they were not even interested in the fight until these ESPN started showing interest. Then they were like, "Whoa, wait a minute! Now right. we have money in the budget. Let's let's jump on this." But <laughs> I think I think that as much as fans are undermining what Vonis can do because of the two-year layoff and Laura, I think that Team G can be do, doing the same thing. They're looking ahead rather than looking mm-hmm. in front of them, you know, um, and that might give opportunities to for Montarosian. Just Montarosian to stay in the fight, I don't think, to, 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 to take a win, Gabriel. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, you know, like I said, it depends on the the the, the bonus that shows up. You know, stylistically, yeah, right. he could be a problem. You know, uh, he's almost like a little bit of a B.J. Saunders, and he'll he'll bounce around mm-hmm. and move and, and, and kind of you know uh, make you look for him a little bit. Boxes from on high, uh, but he's also not the biggest puncher at 154. But he, I think he hits hard enough to keep respect. It's not like he got, you know, he he went neck and neck with uh, Lara, who was you know the top of the class. You know. Although I think the Charlos really are the, the class of 54 and, and 60. You know, they just have yet to fight, uh, fight everybody. But. Right. You know, we'll see. No, it, uh, and, and then for Vonis, for what's the success? I mean, I mean does, can, he can make it an interesting fight, you know, if he's just a little awkward. And Triple G is slowing down over his last two fights, actually. I think we've seen that. But uh, does, he, does he think he has any chance of winning or just making it interesting for a little bit? No, I'm gonna say make it interesting. Right. Yeah, I don't think so either, man. I hate to say it, but yeah, I think he, I think he makes it interesting in certain points. I think he makes it interesting that fans are gonna give him his props by saying he survived with Triple right. G if he does go through 12 rounds, because uh, you know Vonis is not some some dude that you're just gonna land one punch and it's done and over with. You know, um, he's definitely not gonna be that heavyweight. Uh, what was his name that got in with Anthony Joshua? Uh, what's his name? Parker. Oh God. No, the other guy. The uh, guy that had a title. He had a short reign. Oh, a, uh, that's Charles my, Martin. Charles Martin. Martin, right. Monterosi is no Martin. But uh, All right, Brian. Well, hey, bro, thanks for calling in, man. I really appreciate it. we got to let you go because we got to get going ourselves here on Leaving the Ring. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for having me on, and you guys have a good one. You all too, right, bro. You too. Here, real quick, final thoughts before we log off here on Leaving the Ring. First off, hey, I want to thank everybody that's tuned in and uh, continue to support us on Patreon and continue to support us regardless. And, you know, I know, like I said, I haven't been around, but I, I, I appreciate all the emails and, you know, direct messages and the following that we have here. So final thoughts here. Um, Salka, dude, burn those trunks. They weren't good for you. You shouldn't have done that. It was stupid, you know? <laughs> Timber you know. is the only thing I could have thought of when I saw you get dropped by uh, Francisco Vargas. You know, um, understand your political view. Sometimes your political view should not be brought at a place where it has no business at. And that was definitely not on fight night on ESPN. 
against Francisco Vargas. I had a guy that actually tweeted back to me, and I blocked him here, uh, Gabriel. Um, he said, because uh, somebody had said he got it was well-deserved what, what Rob Zonka got from uh, Francisco Vargas. And this guy goes, well-deserved, then what about the smugglers and drug dealers? And so I had to respond back to the guy, and I'm like, what does that have to do with, with that? I mean, Francisco Vargas is not a smuggler, and he's not a drug dealer. It's just a stupid point. You know, I mean, that had nothing to do. It's not like Vargas was trying to sneak over here to the States. He came here as a professional fighter to fight in a professional fight, not to overstay. So for him, for, for Sokka to, to, to make that move by bringing a pair of trunks that said America first and have a wand printed on his trunks, to me was, was, a, was, a, was, was an open door to be criticized and ridiculed and, and to have people immediately applaud him getting stopped in the sixth round, not coming out after the sixth. So to me, there is no sympathy there. And, you know, I forgot, oh, um, Michael Woodley, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I see the guy's tweets, I like some of his tweets, but he's called him, he called him uh, courageous. And uh, me and you spoke about that. And it stood out that when you, when I looked at that, I was like, courageous, how is this courageous? This is more like of a coward. And I think you even said that to me. You know, there's a coward going out there. You're bringing your agenda into the ring. So I thought it was a stupid move. And I think seeing some fighters well, that are trying to use this. Now more than ever, it's actually safer to be an open racist. Well, I wouldn't say more than right. ever. But in, in our lifetime, I think, you know, me as an adult anyways, it seems like it's more okay. And the people are pushing back against people talking about racism more than ever. Um I'm and so him that, wearing you know, those trunks thing, there, I mean, I guess, you know, he's pretty brave in right. a room full of Mexican in Indio, California, uh, to wear those trunks. But, yeah, it was uh, – it just didn't help. What is it going to help? You know? No. I mean, think of all the mass shootings that we've had in the country this year. And not to, you know, do any whataboutism, but, like, if something's really an issue to you, I mean, I would say that mass shootings seem to be more of an issue than people fleeing other countries and trying to get here. You know, and, and I don't know, don't get me started. I mean, immigration people right. think the, the whole thing through and, you know, they'll get mad because I'll, I'll start bringing in kind of inter, the intersectionality of, of what the U.S. has done, you know, uh, in South America, bringing down regimes. I mean, these are just things that they did uh, or, right. you know, what they're doing in the Middle East, uh, invading Iraq based on lies uh, in a war of choice. Uh, you know, it, it's. People don't think, well, maybe, you know, we're causing the reasons why those people want to flee the places they're fleeing. Uh, but, no, we, you know, we need legal immigration. And, you know, I mean, just think about how That's this an country hour. was funded. Right. It, it just makes you sick. That's an hour of another show that we could – obviously, we could really <laughs> honestly – we could do. You know, and, you I, know I think that check means out episode myself two and of, you, we uh, could... of The Undiscovered Country, the, the podcast that I right. did. And I, I delve into it with an expert on uh, immigration. Right. And that was a great episode, by the way. Really, truly enjoyed it, and I know a lot of people did as well. You know, but, you know, my point was this, is that we're seeing more and more, especially in boxing, um, because Salka is not the first to bring up the wall, and, you know, we're going to send Mexicans back, and et cetera, et cetera. But it takes me back to a movie that I really, truly love and enjoy. It's a movie I could watch over and over, which is Sleepers. And there's a scene, at, at, like, at the, in the beginning of, of the movie where we're right after – the part of them being kids in juvenile hall. Um, now they're adults and they walked into this pub slash 
restaurant, and these two gentlemen are, are talking politics. And uh, one of the guys said, hey, tell the bartender, hey, go over there and get buy him a beer and tell him in this place here, Health's Kitchen, um, partaking in pol- pol- talking politics and sports doesn't happen. Can't do it. And those guys respectively lifted up their glasses at them and said, hey, you're right. And I think that that's where we need to go back to when we talk in when we when we're in sports. You know, I don't want to see your political agenda stepping in the ring. Just get in there and do your job. And especially if you're being ignorant, but like I said, you're America first. Well, Francisco Vargas is not looking to cross over. He didn't come over illegally. He's not coming over to steal you. Well, he stole the you know. I mean, he beat you up for the for the for the win, but he's not stealing from you, and I think that's just stupid of some folks, and I got a lot of emails because of my tweets about it and some of my memes that I put up on Instagram um, that some folks were kind of offended by it, and, you know, and I, I would say, hey, man, I'm sorry, you know, but um, I don't, I think it's got to well, go both ways. America you know? First, you know, if you can look up, uh, look up the history of uh, America First, um, I think the Atlantic uh did a great piece on it. I'm pretty sure it's the Atlantic. I go the history of it. Um, I won't, you know, we're trying to wrap up the show, but I would suggest people look that up. Uh, but it, it's just a weird thing to me. America, people that say America first, why does America not put itself first? You know, we've been like the <laughs> right? superpower for like a long time. Uh, you know, our, our, our forefathers, the, the founders of the country, used to refer to Mexico and South America as our, you know, our backyard to the south. Um, We've got like five or six heading up to like maybe seven wars that we're doing that are undeclared, but are wars. Uh, you know, we do regime changes all the time. Like, when do we not put ourselves first? Uh, I don't understand. Good point. Uh, well, I no. guess except I know when we're taking care of our first. people. I'm American. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. There's, but, you know, we have a homeless problem and housing shortages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Flint isn't the only major city with lead in it. Uh, I think there's like 13 right. total that are in danger of this. Uh, our infrastructure is all screwed up. But people that, that follow that America First stuff, but, you know, really need to take a look at, at people that are saying what they're actually doing. Puerto Rico still doesn't have power, but we're blowing money on bombs. You know, what about America right. First? Bud? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, anyway. it's only <laughs> right. Exactly. Anyways, man, it was good. I think that uh, I was expecting a little bit more. Bring Russ with us, being back on the show here, doing uh, leaving in the ring. But unfortunately, the one, the only one that was having ring Russ was my my laptop, um, <laughs> but not us. But uh, anyways, we'll be back next week, everyone. I want to thank everybody that tuned in on leaving the ring with myself, Dave Duenas, and my co-host, Mister Gabriel Montoya. People telling Gabriel, welcome back, uh, welcome back from where you never left. You're still here. Anyways, the dark cloud, as always, brother. Uh, don't drink and drive because you will spill your beer, beer. And keep a close lookout for me on America's Got Talent. I'll be in the background holding that sign that says, we love you, Samuel, Samuel Cal. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Peace. You got a friend in me. You got a friend. Celebrate friendship and beyond during the first ever Pixar Fest with the all-new Pixar-themed fireworks spectacular and your favorite park parades. Celebrate from April 13th through September 3rd, only at Disneyland Resort. Visit Disneyland.com for details. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. you got a friend in me. Entertainment subject to change without notice. you got a friend in me. 
celebrate friendship and beyond during the first ever Pixar Fest with the all-new Pixar-themed fireworks spectacular and your favorite park parades. Celebrate from April 13th through September 3rd, only at Disneyland Resort. Visit Disneyland.com for details. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. You've got a friend in me. Entertainment subject to change without notice.